Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm Steve Bauer. I'm Secretary of the California Council of the Blind. And I want to welcome everybody back to session three of our convention in person and on Zoom. So uh, greetings to everybody listening out there. Uh, either on Zoom or on ACB Media 8. And we're so glad all of you can be here, and we're just loving being in person, uh, many of us. We've got some great stuff for you this afternoon, and we're going to get started. Um, for Our first speaker will be the uh, director of the California Department on Aging, Susan Damaras. Thank you, Steve, and hello, everybody. Good afternoon. I am Susan DeMorris, and I am honored to be included today in your program. I currently serve as the director of California's Department of Aging. I was appointed into this position by Governor Gavin Newsom about a year and a half ago, um, I want to thank Sarah for the invitation and for helping to support me coming out today. But also, um, we kind of flip-flopped because I was in Fresno this week in in her neighborhood, and now she's up here in my neighborhood. So um, thank you, Sarah, for coming down to coming out this week. We had a roundtable about older adult behavioral health, and Sarah was there to join us. Um, thank you. So I was asked today to talk about California's Master Plan for Aging. If you've heard of the Master Plan for Aging, please raise your hand. Hey, all right. If you're aging, please raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> My hand's up too. Um, we're all aging. Um, and... You know, something I appreciate about Sarah coming out this week is one thing that the Master Plan for Aging has done in California is we're starting to show up for each other in the aging and disability communities. And I think the Master Plan for Aging is part of that, where we're um, we're learning from one another, we're supporting one another, and we're really focusing on the similarities and the common experiences that people have and trying to use our collective voice to change things for everyone. Uh, our communities have waited many, 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 many years to have a governor in place that cares about aging and disability and equity, to have a legislature in place in the Senate and the Assembly that cares about aging and disability and equity. And we have some resources that we've never had before in our state that are helping us um, take some action. Um, I wanted to update you on where we are in the Master Plan for Aging. Right now, we're starting year three. This is a 10-year blueprint for our state, and it's a cabinet-level effort. So this is something that is involves health and human services. It involves housing. It involves labor, transportation, parks, environment. Everybody has a part in the Master Plan for Aging. Um, we work very closely with the Department of Rehabilitation. I saw that Joe 
Xavier was here this morning having coffee. Um, Anna Acton, who some of you may know, is a key part of it. Jeff, Tom, I think Jeff is here in the room. Yeah, there you are. I I see Jeff. Jeff was instrumental in development of the master plan for aging. Thank you, Jeff. He 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 represented you in person. Made sure that um, the council was represented. Made comments. Attended meetings. So when we came up with the five bold goals of the Master Plan for Aging, the first one is housing for all ages and stages. And that is a big issue. I'm so proud in our state that that was the first goal. Right now, the fastest growing unhoused population in our state is people who are 50 and older. And most of them have a disability. And it's a combination of not having enough housing, affordability. There may be behavioral health and substance use disorder issues. So housing for all ages and stages is our number one goal. Oh, here comes Joe Xavier now. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Nothing like trying to sneak in. <laughs> you didn't hear me compliment you. Let me compliment you again. <laughs> How much we enjoy working with you and the Department of Rehabilitation and your staff. Oh. It's the truth. It's the truth, and she's saying it right now. <laughs> our our second goal in the master plan is health reimagined. So for many of us in the room, we don't want a strictly medical model. So this is how can health be much broader to include social services, social supports, and all the things we need to live independently at home. Meals, home modifications, transportation, that's all part of health. Our third goal is, and that's a big part of CalAIM, if you've heard about the new transformation of our Medi-Cal program, it's how we're reimagining how we deliver care, whether it's Medi-Cal, Medicare, Veterans Care, to really put, um, do a whole person view and make sure people get much more than their medical needs met. The third goal is inclusion and equity, not isolation. And coming out of the pandemic, we're really concerned about the the long-term effects of isolation. Our fourth goal is caregiving that works. So this is the paid workforce, especially the direct care workforce, like in-home supportive services, home care, but also family and friend caregivers who need a lot of support and training and resources too. And then the last is affording aging. So how do we tackle the high cost of living in California? During the pandemic, the only group that fell into poverty was older adults. So some of the the temporary funding that was made available from the federal and state government helped other populations, but didn't help older adults. Today, 
more than 20 states are following our example and trying to develop their own master plans for aging. And because of California's example, they are including disability in their master plans, just as California did. So I wanted to touch on, you know, the so what's. Okay, we got this plan. It's it's great. It's underway. Um, I wanted just to fill you in on the things we're working on this year so that you can join in what's happening right now, where we're making the most progress. The first is I wanted to share that we're doing a home and community-based services gap analysis statewide, all 58 counties. We're looking at Medi-Cal and non-Medi-Cal, and we're, we're looking to see what's available up and down our state. We know that there are huge pockets of the state where there's nothing or very little or there's a huge waiting list. So we're working together with the Department of Healthcare Services. They're doing the Medi-Cal side. The Department of Aging is doing the non-medical side. And we're going to be able to, to point to the governor and the legislature and say, here's where the holes are. Here's where the gaps are. And then when we have resources, we know where to direct them to build up capacity and infrastructure. I'm glad Joe's here to talk about our No Wrong Door system and the Aging and Disability Resource Connections. We've been partnering with the Department of Rehabilitation and the state's independent living centers to develop local programs that are um, a hybrid between the Area Agency on Aging and the Independent Living Center that can assist people in uh, care transitions, information and referral, options counseling. We're about more than halfway, half of the state is covered. The goal is to cover the whole state, have a have a baseline, and then build that system up to really help people stay in their homes, live independently, and wrap around the services like housing and transportation and home modifications and job training and whatever it takes um, to wrap around, you know, using the ILCs and the AAAs. Yeah, thank you. And we just got a federal grant to, um, it was a competitive grant to develop a state governance council to oversee that. And that's really important because to do this well, lots of different departments need to be working together. So we have the, the resources to build that governance council. The other thing we're going to be working on over the next two years is a caregiver equity roadmap. So what we have found, you know, in long-term care nationwide and in our state, about 65% of all care is provided by unpaid family and friends, and they're often forgotten. The, the Biden administration put out a caregiver um, plan, the first ever for our country last year. We're taking that plan and we're Californiaizing it, and we're going to look and see, like, you know, what what do we need to do here? Um, to support family caregivers. This this will involve the regional centers, the independent living centers, and the caregiver resource centers. We're also focusing quite a bit on behavioral health. We're really concerned about the impacts of the pandemic on mental health and wellness. We've had um, shootings this year in Half Moon Bay and Monterey Park, where the the assailant was an older adult and the victims were older adults. Uh, so we're really looking at how can we pull 
older adults and people with disabilities along in the behavioral health continuum and make sure that their needs are addressed just as children and youth have their needs addressed. Um, two more items, and then um, we'll move to, to what you might be involved in. We're focused on people who are precariously housed. There's a lot of research that says sometimes people only need $300, $400 to stay in their home. And if they can't stay there, they become homeless or they they spiral with, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of, you know, new lease payments and move out and, and relocation costs. Um, there's a proposal in the, the governor's budget through the Medi-Cal program to provide six months of rental assistance for people who are precariously housed. And there's communities around the state that are offering this. And we're looking at those communities, San Diego, Santa Monica, Berkeley. So we're going to see what those local communities are doing to see if we can do more. And then the last thing that we're doing is um, you may have heard in Washington state, they passed a universal long-term care benefit so that people who aren't yet eligible for Medi-Cal or disability get some assistance. And we're examining that to see what California can do in that space too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my favorite too. Um, and then here are ways that you can get involved personally, individually, locally, or through your agencies. Right now, the Department of Healthcare Services has an open funding opportunity with CalAIM for PATH-sided funding. This is a way for agencies to get some dollars to participate in Medi-Cal to build up capacity and infrastructure. We just took in 20, 30 grants for local areas that are planning around the master plan for aging, and we're about to announce probably about 20, 25 of them will get awards. We'll make sure that you hear who's getting those awards and you can get in on the ground floor in your communities. We also have some workforce initiatives, um, Cal Grows and the IHSS Career Pathways, so that um, direct care workforce can get training and stipends on a whole array of topics. Um, I mentioned already the aging and disability resource connections. We have an advisory council. Um, Sherry Rossler with the Society for the Blind is a new addition to that. And um, we're looking for ways that we can link arms. And of course, Joe and his staff are very, very involved in the ADRC advisory council and all of that work. And then right now, there is a funding opportunity with the Mental Health Services Oversight and Accountability Commission, where there's $20 million that's going to go to local communities to do more of the prevention work on with behavioral health, early intervention. And then that's just a lot for a Saturday to throw at all of you. <laughs> So I will stop, but I'm so happy to take any questions, and I'm just really honored to be here and appreciate the partnership and the collaboration. Thanks, Susan. If you've got questions here in the room, um, please stand up or raise your hand, and I believe we have mic renters that will get a mic to you. And if you've got questions on Zoom, raise your hand, and uh, we'll alternate back and forth, I guess. Do we have anybody in the room with a question? We have a couple hands in Zoom already. Okay, why don't we take a Zoom question then? Hi, Lori. 
Hi, uh, my name is Lori, and I think it's a very significant thing that you work on people staying in their homes. But um, some, I just want to comment that everything I've taught, any of these aging things that come up and that I listen to, no one mentions dementia. My husband now lives in a memory care facility. And when he started having difficulties, I tried to have private caregivers, which they did not work out. And uh, when I cared for him on my own, he left the house and climbed over a fence and uh, I had to get some help. Um, I'm, I'm totally blind. He luckily, Mike and I uh, both had long, a long-term care insurance that we purchased while working for the federal government. Mm-hmm. So he now lives in a memory care facility and the long-term care will cover for the next couple of years. Then I'll have to figure out what to do. But, you know, our situation is in a class that you aren't, you know, that you don't address. And I understand that. But I guess I just would like someone somewhere in an aging conversation to mention dementia. Thank you. Lori, thank you so much for that comment. And I I apologize that I did not mention Alzheimer's and dementia. And that's actually shocking because before I took this role, I worked for 10 years for the National Alzheimer's Association. And that is uh, my life's work. And and my heart is is with you. My mom um, lived with and, and died with Alzheimer's disease. And I apologize that I overlooked that. Um, part of what's happened in California is at the same time the governor started the master plan for aging, he also asked our former first lady, Maria Shriver, to lead an Alzheimer's prevention and preparedness task force. And they worked on parallel paths. And we took all of Maria Shriver's recommendations and folded them into the master plan for aging. So we have dozens of initiatives that relate to Alzheimer's and dementia. And I'd be so happy to follow up with you. Um, I'm so grateful that you and your husband have long-term care insurance because so few people do. And Alzheimer's is considered the most expensive disease in America because of the high cost of home care, assisted living, memory care, and nursing home placement. Um, So I, I, really appreciate you raising that question. And I'm so sorry I didn't mention that in my my remarks. Um, I, I appreciate that. And thank you. Um, the one thing I also wanted to say is for any married couple, please get power of attorney for your mate. That's a mistake, Mike, and I didn't do. And uh, I had to have a hearing to get uh, authorization to, you know, take uh control of a lot of things and um it would have been so much easier but it you know we we always felt like oh we're fine we'll do it someday and someday just came and went so that's just another comment please every couple get power of attorney for your mate thank you okay do we have any questions in the room yeah my name is joni patchy and um my husband also has dementia. He's had it for five years. And um, he he just got to the point where we couldn't keep him at home anymore. And we don't have long-term life insurance. or, But we do have some retirement, which we're using up 
fairly quickly. He's in a like a home, but there's no services for him. Nothing to. I don't know what to do for him to to keep him busy or to try to make his mind a little, you know, at least stay where it is for a while. But there's nothing. And when you call the number for aging, the Department of Aging in the city of Sacramento, they connect you to UC Davis. And if you don't belong to UC Davis or you don't have Medi-Cal, you can't take part in it. They said, oh, you'll have to go back to Kaiser and do that. Joan, I'm sorry you're getting the runaround, and that's that's extremely frustrating on top of everything else that you're you're dealing with. Um, so I the the number for the Department of Aging, I didn't share that. I'm happy to share it, but I also think anyone living with Alzheimer's or dementia, um, the Alzheimer's Association is a private voluntary health organization that can also provide free support and services. Um, and they can also help with some of the advanced care planning and referrals. Um, I can give you their number. I have it memorized from working there from 10 years, 10 years. but, and, and all of our area agencies on aging re- receive funding for Alzheimer's and for caregivers. And so you should be knocking on their doors too. Uh, Sure. So for the Alzheimer's Association, it's 1-800-272-3900. And then I can tell you for the Department of Aging, you can always call um, 1-800-510-2020, and we'll connect you to whoever's closest to you. based on your area code, where you're calling from. Okay, and I believe we have another um, question on Zoom. Yes, we have a couple more, and it's um, Sheila Gunn-Cushman. Um, I have just gotten my first desk job in 20 years. I'm 51 years old. I'm trying to take advantage of all the things that are out there for someone who's just getting employed, but they're all set up for 20 year olds. (laughs) Um, And so I'm a, I'm a client of the department of rehabilitation receiving job retention services. I've connected with the work incentives program. Um, But I also have IHSS, Medi-Cal, Medicare, um, Section 8, um, food stamps, which the current name is not coming to me. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how to make sure that my medical stays all right, whether I lose SSDI, whether I keep it, whether SSI stays, whether it goes, SSI is probably going to go. That's all right. And I'm overwhelmed. And I'm excited about the job and I love the job and I'm doing well at the job. I'm struggling with some of the technology, but rehab's helping with that too. Only they're just now starting and I've been in the job two months. I'm overwhelmed. I'm terrified. I'm excited. I'm help. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that not so much for myself because I'll fix myself and I'll ask people questions and I'll look around and I, I, I know a lot about benefits and, and what I don't know, I know to ask people and stuff like that. But that's because I've been an advocate for 30 years. So what for the person who isn't? So what for the person who doesn't know what I know? So what 
for the person who isn't a bulldog and doesn't know how to not give up what for them. Congratulations on your new job. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. Awesome. Um, And I, you know, I hear that you're um, experienced, seasoned, knowledgeable, and still stumped. Um, This is where. And the fact um, of the matter is I could lose this job because blind people, uh, it's hard for us to get employed. And some of us are lucky to stay employed and do all the right things and know all the right stuff. And some of us don't. And I don't trust that I'll keep this job. Not, not because I'll do something bad or, you know what I mean? I need to be okay or whether I have this job or not. I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do we have any other uh, questions in the room here? Yes. This is Margie Donovan. And um, hi there. And thank you for your wonderful presentation. I had a beautiful career working with the Department of Veterans Affairs and working with elderly blind people. Excuse me a second. Mud's down. Down. Good boy. Um, where wonderful services was made available and um, the VA has its own nursing care system and they contract out. One of my huge concerns is I see this happening continuously and wondering how your agency deals with it. Um, people who are losing their sight and elderly often are put in nursing homes uh, because of simple things like they can't identify their medication, strictly blindness related stuff. And if they were referred to proper services and programs, that would keep them out of a nursing home. How is your program um, addressing that? The other thing, other thing um, that goes along with that is um, I happen to co-facilitate a weekly support group that is through our Council on Aging and Vision Loss on Zoom. And I think we need more of that because our elderly, when they're losing their sight and just a little bit of sight loss, they think they're going blind. And it's very devastating. And so I think what's important here that I'm looking for from your agency is referrals to programs and services that serve blind people. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for co-facilitating that group on Zoom. That's um, probably a lifeline for a lot of people, and we really appreciate that. So a a couple of things. Um, Again, knock on the door of the Area Agency on Aging and um, ask them what they can do for you. That's a start. the other is the aging and disability resource connections. We really, you know, the the vision, and I mentioned that the master plan for aging is a 10-year plan and it won't happen overnight. So we're we're building the building blocks of a no wrong door system where people um, more seamlessly and streamlined get connected and referred to the services and supports they need. It's such a maze. Um, it's so hard to navigate. It's hard to know what's local, what's state, what's federal. You know, you're with veterans. So, you know, there's the federal veterans program. There's the state veterans program. There's Medicare, there's Medi-Cal, and the list goes on. So we really, you know, we're building a no wrong door system that will have live help um, 24-7 and a web portal. Um, It'll be available in all languages. And that's a multi-year technology initiative uh, but it's to really equalize for the consumer. So the consumer doesn't have to be um, calling around, but they can start in one place and 
the back office directs to the right place instead of you having to do all the legwork. Okay, I think we have time for one more question, so we'll take the one on Zoom. This is for Hobie. Yes, hi. Wonderful presentation. Uh, really, really enjoyed the talk, and I really understand and appreciate the critical nature of considering our aging population. Um, as we see people who are over the age of 65 becoming the largest part of our population uh, day by day, my question is really about where are these people looking to seek information? Where are they looking for uh, valuable information that they can utilize for themselves? Where are they collecting their news, their data? We know it's not social media, but from your findings, what is the, what is the best channel and way to communicate with these people? That's such a great question. And, and we've learned a lot through the pandemic, you know, in trying to get information out to people about COVID and then about vaccines and then about boosters. The, the sentiment was, you know, put it on social media. Well, that's not how older adults, <laughs> people with disabilities, people um, with vision loss are, are getting their information. So we have done a lot of, you know, if you look at, um, you know, if you stratify by age, um, older adults still, you know, if sending to the house is the best thing you can do as a mailer. Um, newspapers, TV, and radio are still, you know, the best sources of information, public service announcements. Um, and then we find with many older adults that the key decision maker in the family is, is somebody younger. It's a child or grandchild who is on social media. So we have to do all of it to reach and then to reach the population. And then if we're looking at languages and culture, we have to try other strategies too, like ethnic media newspapers that might be published only monthly. Um, so it, it's all of the, it's all of the above. Um, Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. It's very helpful. Yeah. Susan, we have a, we have a few more questions. Are you able to stay a few more minutes? And uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a question. Great. Okay. Let, let's take one, one from the room now. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And hi, thank you so much for your presentation today. I'm just curious to know if the master plan on aging has a component for um, individuals who are aging, perhaps aging in their homes and might need to refinance a home or do something. Um, if you're working with a financial institution, you may not, um, may or may not buy for uh, refinancing. So Stephanie, that, that is not a topic that is currently addressed. So if you're talking about maybe reverse mortgages or equity lines, that's not touched on in the master plan currently, but every two years we shuffle, we start anew. And that's part of how we're going to keep this dynamic and relevant over the 10 years. So if if that's a growing concern, um, we'll take note of it. Okay. And another question on Zoom? There is no one. Okay, great. Then uh, go ahead, Pam. <laughs> Hello. Yes, my name is Pamela Metz. And um, yes, I'm aging. But what I've noticed um, in the last year with I have Kaiser as my health insurance and what I've noticed in the last year is that they have really, 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 really started to focus on complete health. So, um, and I have 
Medi Medi with my I am 65 almost. So there. Almost. <laughs> but what I've noticed, and I did receive a letter with the list of everything that they're doing. Um, the caregiver, my case manager, everybody's phone number, every program. They've started where they're selling. They have a magazine now that you can uh, a catalog where they give you an extra $100 a month to order stuff that you may not be able to buy over the counter. Mm-hmm. Now, is it accessible for people who are blind? No, but they're making a point of doing something. Um, but that's what I've noticed a change in Kaiser in the last year as a Kaiser patient. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. And that's part of what the state's trying to do with CalAIM and the dual special need plans to really integrate Medicare and Medi-Cal and look at the whole person and to have some care coordination going on. So, so happy to hear that. And I'll take that back. Thank you for sharing that. It's not everywhere, right? It's we're, we're getting, getting started. Uh, Next question from the room. So, we have been working on several bills in this area. The latest one is on skilled nursing facilities. And navigating that has been a little bit overwhelming for us. I did contact our area on aging here in Sacramento, and they don't even screen for vision loss when they do their intakes. Um, they, there's no question, and I suggested that they put one in their screening process because they couldn't even tell me if anyone they serve or have served has vision loss. And when you talk to people in skilled nursing facilities, a similar thing comes up. They say, well, we we did find through another study that up to 50% of the people in skilled nursing facilities are experiencing some significant vision loss. But when you go to the people serving, they say, well, we're, we're serving them. And then we hear anecdotally, they're not. There's a disconnect between aging and vision loss. And we don't, we would like guidance as to how to connect mm-hmm. it. There, there is a disconnect. And I am not at all surprised to hear that that's what you found out. And, you know, one of the goals of the master plan for aging in, in the year 2030, one in four Californians will be over the age of 60. So about almost 12 million, um, Californians. And when that day comes, we need to have screening tools like you just described that catch everybody, not where this one has a good screening tool and looks for vision loss and this one doesn't. So that's part of our work. Our shared work in the California Health and Human Services Agency is to standardize and to capture this data so that we can provide better services. So um, that is in the works. Probably not, um, you're not going to see immediate results, but those um, risk assessments and standardized assessments and screeners are all things. It includes, you know, cognitive impairment, vision, hearing loss, and a host of other topics that just are not being captured now. Hi. Hello. Um, Alice Turner here. Just a very quick question. I I hear all these amazing programs, and I heard your intro about the fact that for the first time we have a governor, et cetera, that cares. 
funding. It sounds like all of this requires substantial, you know, funding. Are you funded for the next 10 years or if the administration changes, is it a rocky road? Well, we have, you know, one good thing is we do have, uh, we still have a lot of Holman community-based spending plan dollars and the American Rescue Act dollars that are being implemented as we speak that, you know, there's a backlog, a positive backlog of dollars that have flowed to the to the state, whether it's from the federal government or our state legislature that are just now being implemented. Um, going forward, um, I can tell you that there we have four more years with this governor. Um, and, you know, there are things like I mentioned that the big technology projects that are multi-year where we have commitments in place, people won't see the results the wheels are turning. Um, that's why it's a 10-year plan. And that's why your advocacy is so important to know your legislators and to keep the focus on this population. Thank you. Any more questions? Yes, Steve. Um, this is Livy Ostergaard from Fresno. Um, since we're talking about aging and vision loss, I think an area that we as CCB needs to hone in on, and possibly your agency, is the eye doctors. And because when I go to the eye doctor for my yearly checkup, I'm going to say a good 90 to 95% of the folks that are waiting in the waiting room with me are over 50. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an area that we need to tap into because you know, to them, we're the failures Mm. and are, or, you know, and of course we know that that's not true, but we've got to find a way to get into the eye doctors and optometrists and, and, and ophthalmologists office, or even at the schools like UC Irvine and others, where they train, you know, they're getting the medical training and becoming these these uh, specialists and and doctors. Uh, but I think that is extremely important, and we need to develop something of relationship with them. I I one thousand percent agree with you. And whether it's geriatrics or gerontology, um, you know, if you if you asked any anyone entering. Um, medical school or nursing, you know, almost everyone will say, I want to work with children. You know, very few people say that they want to focus on older adults. And as as a consequence, we really, we don't have geriatric and gerontology trained, you know, whether it's physicians, nurses, social workers, it's, um, and with the one in four people in our state about to be 60 or older, that's, um, you know, it's not just the preferred way, it's it's a necessity. So you're exactly right. And we'll check one more time, see if we have any questions on Zoom. No, sir. Okay, let's take one, let's take one more from the, uh, from the room then. Susan, this is Mike Marlin. I'm the uh, director of the Braille and Talking Book Library. We're part of the California State Library. We sent an outreach librarian to your Area 4 aging conference last year, and it was a very positive experience. I'm really enamored of what you all are doing and your leadership so far. 
And I guess this is sort of a, an offer as well as a question, and that is, I didn't hear library services mentioned in the master plan. And uh, although I know it may s- seem like it pales in comparison to some of these other heavyweight issues, and which are so important, but the ability, not only the ability to read, but the ability to seek information and information seeking behavior and practice and reference work for people who are print disabled and blind where uh, sighted librarians may not understand all the nuances. I'm wondering if we can create a partnership and if and when those two, that two-year cycle comes up, whether we might talk some more about the library and, and the library system within the state for the blind being part of that master plan. And I have a business card too, which I'm happy to give you. Yes, I, I, you're right. That is not included now. It could be included in two years and you're, I could, I agree completely with you. Um, so I'd love to follow up with you, um, on that. And we've got time, you know, let's start talking yep. soon. So we develop a, a good initiative and it gets included and, and we've talked to all the right people and that's how they get in there. Would love to do work on that with you. I got my business card right. Okay. I'll you. grab that on my, on my way out. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all. Thanks, all you readers. Okay, let's do one more. Does Steve have the most magnificent voice? Uh, you, you could be on. You could be on radio. <laughs> oh, you were. Oh, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nellie Emerson, and and I want to make a comment about uh, a tragedy that. Uh, that happens to um, many elderly blind people. And I know of an individual who is in their uh, mid-80s, had a fall, dislocated a shoulder, needed surgery, and was told basically, oh, well, at your age, we don't do the shoulder repair surgery. Uh, you'll, you're just going to have to wear um, a... Um, a, a a um a brace and uh it'll take much and she lives alone oh. and is blind and this is the uh because we are old and we are blind and nobody cares mm. so this needs to definitely change and it needs to change now mm-hmm. thank you for that i i think that's um a great closing comment um when Joe, Xavier, and I were at a, a day of action in the fall um, where we had over 500 aging and disability advocates gathered in Sacramento and another 500 on Zoom, the focus was ageism and ableism and racism and how the three of them intersect. And we could spend, I bet we could write a book of all the things that people shouldn't have said um, (laughs) in a variety of settings. But I mean, that's, that's just horrible that somebody was told that um, by a medical professional and it happens every day all over our state and nation. Um, And that's why I'm so glad you're here giving your Saturday, your Thursday, Friday and Saturday to, to be together in person and, um, you know, and thank you again for inviting me. It means a lot to be included. I learned a lot from you. I'm going to take it back. Um, and we'll just keep collaborating and partnering and working on the things that we have in common. 
um, to improve the lives for everyone in California. So thank you. And thank you, Sarah. Susan, thank you so much. I've certainly learned a lot in the last 45 minutes and uh, appreciate your time and uh, spending it with us this afternoon. I'm going to pass things over now to our second vice president, Rob Turner, who will introduce our next guest. Well, thank you, Steve. But before we get too much older, I think it's time for a door prize. Oh, no. Well, okay. All right. Well, what we what we can do is we can let me make a quick comment about accessibility real real fast here. Oh, that wasn't me. It was me. So it turns out, sitting up here at the head table, these microphones turn on and off when you touch the base. There's no indication for a blind person that anything's happening. I'm sure there's a light that goes on because I can actually see a little LED right in the middle of the microphone base. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they could have just made a little beep. You know, like a maybe a high beat for off or on. I don't know, whatever. Okay, let's get down to business. And oh, she came back in for the door prize. Prize? Am I popping my peas? Okay. Well, if you can still hear me, I'm going to go with a little further back. All right. Well, while we're waiting for Lisa, I guess we could do the door prize in between the introduction of our next speaker and and the speaker and the speech itself. I, I think that'd be okay. So let's go with that. So yesterday, I took a look at at uh, Sharon Jovanazzo. I hope I got the name right. Okay. Now, did I practice it at all? Uh, Okay. Anyway, I think a lot of people call her Sharon G, as I understand it. But say that. Yeah, I missed that, Gabe. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and that's what that's exactly what Gabe told me. <laughs> so Gabe's got a good sense of humor, that's for sure. So anyway, I read her biography, her little bio, and it, here's what it, here's what I learned. She's proven that collaboration is the key to reducing the economic burden of vision loss. She's known as a strategic thinker, understands that employee growth and development keep, keep the agency or the organization top notch. She's won a number of awards, including the Tom Pfeiffer Award that's from the AER. AR. Um, she's won awards from the U.S. Army Freedom Team, and then also the American Legion awards uh, for awards for military and uh, academic excellence. Uh, a Vision Serve Alliance, Romano. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Roxanne uh, Mayros Organizational Champion Award and a Certificate of Recognition from the Honorable Fiona Ma, California State Treasurer. Also recognized for embodying 
the Lions International Spirit of Service. So that's a heck of a bio, that's for sure. So anyway, is Lisa back in or should we? Okay, so Sh- Sharon, if you don't mind, we'll do a little door prize. And door prize. For you. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, it's on. So we're going to do, let me eat the mic, a $25 gift card for Target. Don't donate it. I'm sorry. Give and buy. can't believe I said that word. Glendale Burbank chapter. Let's go. The winner is Nicolette Noy. Yay! Do we have any volunteers in the room besides the mic runner? Okay, I'll find some. She's right in front of you. Yeah. Welcome, Sharon. We are so happy that you were at the lighthouse. It's so quiet in here. Oh, no. Y'all are stuck to listen to me now. Yeah. And so as y'all take your afternoon nap after having a great lunch, um, first, Thanks so much for letting me join you this weekend and join my new California family. And thank you, Gabe, and to the conference committee for uh, inviting me to do this today. So, you know, I'm always a little intimidated by when I present my story to an audience of people who are blind, simply because my story is not unique in any way. There are so many people sitting in this room that came before me and they paved the way for me, and it's made my journey so much easier. And for me, this is a very vulnerable and personal story to share, but it's my honor to share it with you. So I'm going to talk a little bit about myself as much as I hate to. Um, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the lighthouse because, of course, I'm going to get a shameless plug in for the San Francisco lighthouse. Right. Of course. Of course. Right. I mean, this is a paid commercial opportunity. <laughs> so anyway, I know I have a captive audience. Are they all tied to their chairs? Because they might run out if, as soon as I start. And so please join me in each journey begins with just one step. Hello, darkness, my old friend. This is a familiar, hello, darkness, my old, I won't give up on my day job, I promise. It's a familiar line from a Simon and Garfunkel song that I never thought would become my life song. I was never able to imagine a world filled with darkness, totally void of light. When I was a child, I would sleep with a nightlight under the mattress 
And it would give a warm, no, that wasn't under the mattress. The flashlight was under the mattress and the nightlight would give the warm amber glow. You know, because in case the lights went out, there's things that go bump in the night. I didn't view darkness as my friend. Um, There was things I couldn't see. As an adult, I lived in Alaska. But the summers were filled with light, 24 hours a day. And the winters were cold and dark. They were very cold. That's why I live in California now. But they were never completely dark. The sky glows like a twilight. The northern lights would light up the sky, dancing around like dancers in a Broadway musical, adorned with beautifully colored costumes, blowing like drapes in a gentle breeze. Who would have thought that my worst nightmare would come true? It was May of 2001. I'd not been feeling like myself. Something was different. Something was wrong. I'd been suffering from headaches. It it was probably the worst pain I've ever felt. It felt like somebody had my head in a trash compactor. I wouldn't release the button. The pressure grew in my head and it felt like it was going to blow up. I knew that I had to do something. So I made a doctor's appointment. I told the nurse about my headaches and explained that my vision seems to be affected. And so they make an appointment for me for that day. Well, I guess that was good, but now I have to get up and drag myself out of bed and get ready to go to the doctor. So I did, you know, I forced myself in the shower and I swear it was a hailstorm in that shower. It really was. And I just put on the biggest, baggiest pants and shirt that I could find and probably Crocs, knowing me, whatever I could slip my feet into. (laughs) Got in the car and I drove down the road. This is a really good idea, by the way, folks. I got in the car and drove down the road. I couldn't read the street signs. I was having a really hard time seeing the lights. In fact, I was probably just going along with the flow of traffic. Obviously not very well, though, because I kept on getting people honking at me. You know, and I didn't even have a bumper sticker on the back of my car that says, please honk if you see this. And so I got to the doctor's office and the receptionist handed me some paperwork. So I found a chair and I sat down and I put the pen in my left hand because I'm in my right mind. So I use my left hand. And I went to go. Oh, there you go. Thank you, lefties back there in the back. I I knew that table was going to be the hecklers back there. And so I sat down to fill out the paperwork. And I couldn't see anything. And so I went back up to the receptionist. I said, you must have made a mistake. What you handed me was blank. I think that she looked at me like I had three heads, but I couldn't really tell at that point. So they just brought me back to the back. They helped me fill out the paperwork. The doctor came in and I told him, I said, yeah, you know, I've been having headaches and it seems like my vision's blurry or something. So he walked me out into the hallway. This was just the general practitioner. He said, can you read the sign at the end of the hallway? I couldn't see the sign or the end of the hallway. And um, he says, well, he said, there's really nothing that I can do for you here. So he made arrangements for me to see a neurologist. That was the last day I drove a car because I left it parked at the doctor's office. It, I know, right? It was May 9th of 2001. I'll never forget that day. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's one of those things like everybody who was around when Kennedy got shot. You know, you remember when that last day was. So three days went by and I was just feeling more and more miserable every day. In fact, there was times that I think I would have had to get better to die. Um, the dishes were piling up in the sink. The laundry needed to be done. Yes, I was married, but you know. We all know what men are, right? <laughs> Don't tell any of them down <laughs> But every time I would pick my head up off the pillow, it felt like it would just fall back down again because it felt like it weighed 100 pounds. When I would stand up, the room would spin. So I went, I took a shower to get ready to go to the doctor. 
I ran into the wall. I think I hollered, ouch. We'll say ouch. Yeah. That's probably not the word that I use, but that's probably, that's what I'll say. They could be a PG audience here. And in all honesty, I had been doing that a lot lately. Um, there was no explanation. I just thought I was being clumsy. So finally made it to the phone. And, you know, luckily it was a push button phone. This is before the touchscreen phones. And um, I called the taxi to go to the doctor. I arrived at the doctor's office and I was very graceful when I walked in there. I tripped over a chair, regained my composure and went to the window. And the receptionist asked me in a kind voice to please sign in. And I felt around for the, you know how it is, guys. You know, I didn't know I was, you know, not able to see so well yet. Yeah. And um, she saw that I was in no shape to do anything. So she just said that we'll bring you back to the back. And so they did. And they helped me fill out the paperwork. We completed and I lay down on the table. Well, the doctor opened the door, kind of startled me. And I wanted to be respectful. So I sat up a little bit too fast. The room began to spin. And, you know, all the stories that go along with that. And so I talked to the neurologist. I said, I'm having these awful headaches. I said, and my vision seems to be getting worse day by day. He completed an exam and he says, I don't know what's going on. So there was no diagnosis offered. He stated that what I really needed to do was go see an eye doctor to eliminate any eye problems. Well, good. We, we could do this. My eyes hurt, whatever. So he made an appointment that day. It was already after hours. It was already five o'clock. He called a doctor that was right down the road. So I got to the eye doctor that night and he met me in the lobby, took me back to the room. And I swear they have these brightest lights known to man. And I already have a headache. I'm already not feeling good. And so they just start shining stuff into my eyeballs. And um, he didn't really know. I could, I, I remember I still could read maybe the 20 over 200 line. So I still could see at that point in time. And he didn't offer a diagnosis, but he offered a suggestion. He says, I believe that you're suffering from a demyelinization disease. And even though I was a nurse, an LPN, I wasn't sure what a demyelinization, um, demyelinization disease was. So he had explained it to me that it's kind of like an electrical cord, but it's with your nerves that, you know, like when you run over the electrical cord with your vacuum cleaner and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, the nerves in my brain was shorting out basically is what happened. And so I was sure that going and getting an MRI and everything that he suggested to do then that this would fix everything. And I told the doctor, I said, I'm sure this isn't anything serious. You know, I'm sure you won't find anything wrong with this. I mean, of course, I knew that. I mean, because he's only the one who went to medical school for umpteen years. And, you know, me, I was diagnosed myself. So. And so. We went, we made the appointment. He called my neurologist. We went for the MRI. Um, and the doctor walked me downstairs and asked me how I was getting home. I explained that my husband was going to pick me up. And so he took my arm and he walked me to the front of the office. We called my husband. We went downstairs. He offered to stay with me, but I really didn't want to put up with anybody at that time. So I graciously declined and I sat on the curb waiting on my husband. And he said if there was anything that he could do to please call him. And so I sat there and I waited. At that point, my husband drives up and I get in the car and he asked me, he said, so what did the doctor say? I said, well, they don't really know. They're going to have to run more tests. He was getting about as frustrated at that point as what I was. He said, let's go home. He says, he says, you look tired. I remember leaning my head against the glass of the window 
And um, just thinking, I'll just be glad when this is over, because obviously it was going to end, right? And so he mumbles under his breath, you know, when are these doctors going to do something for you? I knew he was getting frustrated. He couldn't fix me because men want to fix things. And when they can't fix something, they get mad at it, right? That's how it works, right? And so I assured him that once we got the x-ray and the MRI, that everything would be fine and they'd be able to fix it. So I remember when we got home and this so is so it's so ingrained in my memory. Rest your heart, little Joe. He passed away in 2013. And um, I just remember him mumbling under his breath. looks like another night without dinner. I was just at that point, I was mad. I was mad at him. I was mad at myself. I was mad at the situation. But at that point, I didn't care. I just went and crawled back in bed, closed my eyes, fell asleep. Three days passed after the MRI. And then that day, the doctor called me. And he told me, he said, you have lesions on your brain stem. And he said, so we definitely believe after we run some more tests that you have multiple sclerosis and that's what's causing the vision loss. So at last I had an answer and I asked him, I said, so what are you going to do to make it better? And so that's when he kind of explained the disease process to me. So it's kind of one of those things you're just stuck with it for the rest of your life. And so I hung up the phone in disbelief. Number one, what did he just tell me and what did he just tell me over the phone? I was glad that I didn't have to make my way to the doctors, but it's just one of those things. I called my husband and I tried to explain to him through the tears what the doctor just saw. He told me, he said, don't worry. He says, we'll talk about it when I get home. Don't worry. Yeah. Easy for you to say. (laughs) And so I returned to my bed and minutes turned into hours, hours turned into days. In fact, it just seemed like an eternity. As my vision declined, my self-esteem declined. it was a constant emotional roller coaster. It really was. I was unable to accept the thought of being unable to see normally and being able to live a life. So finally, I told myself, because I was given a referral by the eye doctor who suspected the demyelinization disease, he was on the board of the rehab agency that was less than a mile from me. So I was perfectly aligned with this. So that's what I did was I called the agency. And I remember I was probably angry when I had that first meeting with the people. I questioned what I was capable of doing, and they just let me know day by day what I was capable of doing with training. So we started off small, what I thought was small, orientation and mobility training. Learn how to walk with the red and white cane, right? And so an instructor arrived at my house, and I was less than a month in from my diagnosis and losing vision. I was 20 over... 20 over 400 and 20 over 800 at the time. So he told me what to say, you know, what to expect. The first day we only walked around the block. After about six months of orientation and mobility training, twice a week, as many times as I tried to cancel, he's like, we'll just go a little ways today. So I went from being afraid to step on or off the curb to being able to travel independently. But the funny thing was... Oh, come on. Y'all are showing off now, you know. (laughs) But one of the funny parts of that part of the journey was it was the week before Thanksgiving of 2001. After six months of these lessons, he came in to set the next appointment. He says, during the next appointment, he said, you're going to learn how to take the bus. And I remember I just looked at him like, I said, and his name was Mitch Hanson. I said, Mitch, I said, I didn't take the bus when I could see. Why the hell would I now? And in the dry sense of humor that he had, Harvard educated. So, I mean, you know, smart, smart guy. He says, 
Well, you could drive when you could see. That's probably why you didn't take the bus. Yeah. <laughs> why didn't somebody tell me this six months ago? So you mean all I have to do is learn alternate ways of doing stuff that I can live my life independently? And so that was really a wake-up call for me. It really was. And so then I, you know, I embraced the independent living skills, computer skills. I was able to manage my household duties. I began learning Braille. I kind of felt like I was in kindergarten all over again. I was learning my ABCs. (laughs) These were just harder, though. But now I've learned how to speak in Braille. You know, bump, 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 bump. Sorry. It's April Fool's Day, guys. It's my favorite holiday, and I really haven't pranked anybody yet. So, you know, it might be coming, though. (laughs) And so I remember my first visit, though, on the rehab side. And they asked, they said, so what are your goals? I said, to get back in my car and drive. That's, I still, that's all I could focus on. (laughs) You know, I had gotten to the point I could no longer see the computer screen. So that got moved upstairs. And But it all came together because there was services there for me. When I was taking the computer classes, we started off on magnification and they kind of read the tea leaves because I was already up to four times magnification. They said, why don't we introduce you to this speech technology that we have? I'm kind of glad that they did because within seven months, I went from 2020 vision to nothing, nothing vision in seven months. So very good JAWS user because they taught me well, but then I just kind of embrace it you know i'm an army veteran i was a combat medic i was 31 years old i now knew that life wasn't over i knew if i was going to continue to lead it independent and fulfilling sorry my tang got all tangled up i couldn't see in front of my eye teeth there for a second (laughs) you know if i was going to lead a fulfilling life that i would need to pursue higher education i had a high school diploma I was getting ready to go back to nursing school. I was working as an LPN in the fall of 2001. I was going to go back to nursing school to become an RN. But, you know, chasing a person with a red and white cane in one hand and a needle in the other, they do a lot more damage when they jump out the window, folks. Let me tell you. And so I decided to. Y'all are a great audience, by the way. You know, lots of feedback. I like it. And so I visited the local community college where I decided to pursue an associate's degree in human services. I knew two things. I could use a computer and I could talk. So I was like, we'll start here. We'll do this because I know I can. So I had confidence, but I was still really questioning my confidence and what my abilities was. But as one success built on another, so did my confidence. And so the same month I began college, I began, and that was January of 2002, I began working on the glove packing line. So, you know, when you go to the airport and they frisk you, molest you, whatever they do with those gloves. Well, you can thank a person who's blind in upstate New York for doing that for you. So even though I had a lifetime of experience, I'd been in the army. I was working as an RN. I had no marketable skills whatsoever as a person who was blind. So I had to start somewhere. Never once did I view that as my only job that I would ever have, though. I viewed it as a stepping stone. I remember that first day I packed exactly 38 boxes of gloves. It was epic. But I worked hard and I set my goals higher every day. By the time I got off of the glove line, I was packing 225 boxes a day. And so, I mean, and so, but while I was packaging those gloves, 
I was taking college classes, 21 and a half credit hours while working full time. So I would listen to my books during the day and I would go to college at night. And then I got bored with packing gloves. And so I decided to learn how to sew. Nothing like having a sighted person teach the blind person how to sew and they run the needle through their finger. And I never did. Knock on wood. As I still sew, I love to quilt. So, but the moral of the story is I was given the tools that I needed to be successful, right? I mean, that's everybody in this room. You were given tools one way or another to be successful, whether that was DOR and Joe supporting you over there, or whether you just got it on your own. You had really great parents that did it for you. But for me, now all of a sudden I'm back contributing to society. In fact, when I was sewing, we were sewing items for the military. So they kind of made a personal link with my, um, with my BB life, you know, the before blindness life. We all have AB and BB life, or some of us have AB and, and BB lives. So I continued with my studies. I got really interested in public policy and consumer relations. So I moved into a position and how funniest story on how I got that position. I was writing letters and some who's been in the blindness field for a while or adjacent to the blindness field remembers a name, Lorraine Lidoff. And I was writing letters her because I was appalled that my insurance did not pay for my vision rehab service. I, if I break my leg, I get physical therapy. Why can't I get vision therapy? And, and, and we're still fighting that fight, right? This has not changed, folks. We're going to change it. We're going to change it, at least in California. So my CEO yeah. at the time was Don Legitacy, and he came down with one of the letters that made it to D.C. And he said, did you write a letter to somebody in D.C.? And I was like, yes, sir. He said, come to my office. I was like, oh, damn, I'm fired. <laughs> I just was pretty sure that I was fired. <laughs> but no, he he created a position. And so I started to do public policy, and that kind of launched me into a new territory. I had I had great mentors along the way, and I've got to tell a California story. I've got to digress for a moment, and I've got to tell a California story that came very early on in that period of time. Don Legitacy, the one that I just mentioned, introduced me to one of the most beautiful and wonderful people in California, and I get to sit in her seat today, and that's Anita Aaron. And, and how he introduced me, he said, I want to introduce you to the most wonderful female CEO who's blind. And he said, because someday you're going to be like her. Now, who do you think was the first person I called when I found out I got the job in San Francisco? I called Don Legitacy. And then I think I called Anita Aaron. <laughs> I was so excited. And so eventually the journey would lead me to become a lobbyist in D.C. for National Industries for the Blind. Yeah. Then I went to Raleigh, North Carolina, to serve as the VP of a large blindness organization. And then I spent the last eight years in Little Rock, Arkansas, oh, yeah. uh, where I was CEO of a residential training facility for people who are blind. Yeah. But through all this, I learned that a lack of sight did not have to translate into a lack of vision. In, in a short seven months, I had lost the last of my sight, but I had built a solid foundation of skills that I, and, and, and while enduring that constant emotional roller coaster, there was a scared little girl behind the brave face that would face the public. But as the skills that I've talked about grew, so did my ability to not mourn such a loss. And I never did it alone. So for in, forever in darkness with help, I've come to realize that the warm amber glow of the nightlight or the bright shining sun will never be seen again. But I can feel the warmth of the sun. 
I can smell the roses as they bloom. I can taste the salt in the air as we drive by the ocean. And I can hear the cry of a newborn baby. I missed all these things before because I was too busy seeing things. But now I can appreciate everything around. And I've learned how to use all of my senses. I still have vivid memories of what things look like. But now I see more than ever before. But even in darkness, I've come to accept that there are still things that go bump in the night. And that there may be a monster just lurking around the corner. But I'm no longer going to spend my life worrying what those are. Because I'm no longer afraid of them because of people like you. But in the words of William Shakespeare, he he that is struck and blind cannot forget the precious treasure of his eyesight lost. But for me, now the loss of sight has truly been a gift because it's because I have been given. And for that, I'll be forever in debt for those gifts that's been given to me. So today, fast forward. And so today I have the honor to serve as the CEO of the San Francisco Lighthouse Food Line. (laughs) And so the San Francisco Lighthouse, many iterations ago, was founded in 1902 by Josephine Rowan. Her brother was blind, so she wanted to fill a need. She organized a group of women who met in the basement of the San Francisco Public Library to provide reading services with the intent of helping blind and visually impaired individuals access printed materials. Still a need today, right? We just have a lot different technology. And so this was California's first private agency to serve people who are blind. It was born right there in 1902. So our mission is to promote the independence, equality, and self-reliance of people who are blind and have low vision. We serve people from birth to earth, womb to tomb. (laughs) Come on, guys. (laughs) And so we begin with our little learners program, and that's our zero to three program. We work with families, and the program is designed to help young children ages birth to three who are blind, deafblind, have low vision, neurological visual impairment, and developmental delays that include blindness or low vision. One of the cornerstones of our services at the Lighthouse is our adaptive technology training. And it used to be a lot better before Gabe came on board, but, you know, not really. In all honesty, we love having Gabe on there. I mean, he brings a whole new level of excitement to the lighthouse. A whole new level of crazy. And they thought it was a whole new level of crazy when I came on board. So, And at the lighthouse, we also provide consulting services for businesses. We invite companies when they are updating technology, websites, to reach out to us, and we'll help with those evaluations. And, of course, we have our independent living services, and each one of those services are customized to meet the needs of the people. We meet them where they're at, and we get them to where they need to go. We have immersion programs from changing vision and changing lives to our guide dog immersion um, program in partnership with Guide Dogs for the Blind. Please stop off and visit their booth, and I hear they're giving away puppies, so everybody stop by. Go go out and say, I'm here for my puppy. (laughs) And then, of course, orientation and mobility, essential living skills, Braille, case management services. We have robust, a robust employment program from our, our employment immersion program to vocational training in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Alameda 
to some upcoming and really cool vocational training, which will have industry standard certifications in high demand fields in the Bay Area. And we will have employer product. And I bet you DOR likes to hear those things, those words. Uh, Not at all. (laughs) And we have youth programs, community services, health and wellness. We serve people who are deaf blind in all of those programs. And then, of course, since 1950, we've had our Enchanted Hills camp. Where's my campers? Where's my campers? And that provides valuable opportunities for recreation and fun, being outside. It's challenging, and it can still be accessible. And we're located on 311 acres in on Mount Veter in Napa. I mean, how bad is that? We're just 10 miles west of Napa. And our summer programs include our Yes Academy, a teen session family camp, STEM camp, music camp, Sensing the Seasons, Little Learners, Deafblind Camp, Adult Camp, Adults with Developmental Disabilities, Changing Vision, Changing Lives, Horse Camp, and Woodworking Camp. Wow. And, you know, many of the people who we serve or any of the service providers in here have faced a lifetime of stereotypes and misconceptions and a life of people lowering the bar for them. But because of help and support that we have from donors and supporters, we can continue to provide these services in Northern California. But I ask each one of you in this room, whether you're a partner agency or whether you're a member, whoever you are, whether you're a friend or a previous friend of the Lighthouse, um, I ask that you come to me and you walk along this journey with me so there doesn't have to be people living in isolation and darkness that blindness can cause. Um, and we're simply here to serve the community. We don't want people to say, hello, darkness, my old friend. We want to be there for them. So I want to thank you for allowing me to have this platform today and to share my story and for welcoming me so warmly to CCB this week. Gabe, thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for that very inspirational speech. Oops, popping peas again. Uh, I'm sure we've got time for questions. And so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and start with Zoom this time, just for the heck of it. Any questions on Zoom? Bring them yes. on. Yes, yes, sir. We have a area code 626. Good afternoon, Sharon. It's Mitch Pomerantz here in Pasadena. Oh, how you how you doing? I'm doing fine and and you know, we didn't we haven't crossed paths since you came to our Pasadena Host Lions Club New Year's Eve breakfast a few years back. That's right. That and would have been in 2017. That's right. And and we are so thrilled that you're here in California. Um, we know what you did to turn our, the Arkansas agency around. Um, you did a fantastic job. I was asked, as I'm sure lots of other people were, when, uh, when the position at the Lighthouse came open, I was asked who would I recommend, and I'm sure I was one of about 50 people who came with your name first and foremost. So we are just so thrilled that uh, that you're with us and uh Donna says hi and hi, Donna, Donna. <laughs> and and Donna is the daughter of a marine and as a result of that I will thank you for your service in the army because I know you had a 
had a career there and and uh and that you did a, a fantastic job there but we're just so thrilled that you are with us in california and hopefully because our club is up and running if you ever get down to to la uh we'll uh, hopefully get a chance to get together and if it works out we'll even get you to one of our uh, one of our meetings in fact i'm going to be the the program chair again beginning in july maybe we'll arrange to have you speak to our club uh via zoom would love that and and i'm even willing to come down and make a visit i'm going to be down there in may so i'll coordinate with you mitch fantastic all right we'll we'll put this together all right sounds good thank you so much mitch it's so good to hear from you absolutely you take care okay let's see if we've got any questions in the room they're all asleep i bored to death <laughs> good afternoon i um i my name is uh Kamets, and yeah and you have to come down to L.A., but you have to cross the border first. That's Bakersfield. Um, <laughs> um, but I wanted to say, as someone who I lost my sight in 2000, um, I truly understand your journey. And you have your journey. I have my journey. I lost mine in 2000, and I have an auto-optic immune deficiency where my immune system said, oh, hell no. Um, your eyes can't see no more. So I truly I'm glad that you're at the lighthouse. Um, and why did you live in Arkansas? <laughs> that was my other question. Why wouldn't you? I know exactly. It's a huh? great place to be from. Well, good. I, you know what? I, I, there's a show that I like that they do out of Arkansas. Fix to the fabulous. I do. Like it was great for eight years. I love the agency. I love the people, but they just had two devastating tornadoes go through. I, heard, I do I not heard. miss that. The agency yeah. World Services for the Blind is fine. That was my first thing was call World Services for the Blind to make sure they were okay. So. I, I heard. Um, no, but I, I do I do thank you for speaking, and I do understand your journey. Been there, done that, and I'm left-handed, so I get you. We have right-sided brains. There you go. You be my soul sister. Uh, my vision soul sister. All right, I heard Margie back there somewhere. Well, you're hearing her right now. There you go. She does not disappoint, folks. Um, first of all, thank you, Sharon. And what a wonderful, refreshing directorship and what a wonderful direction I know the Lighthouse is going to go in. Um, you're just an incredible person that brings a lot of hope to our community um, that live in the Bay Area and our community that loves and enjoys Enchanted Hills Camp. Um, everybody in this room, about a month ago, I sent Sharon an email. And I, I knew she was in the military, and I asked her if she was a black belt or if it was her military training. Oh, no. Sharon, would you tell the rest of that story, please? Oh, Margie. Oh, Margie. And this is not an April Fool's joke, folks. No, it's not. This is a true story. In it a just, power to the women. Yeah, to the blind women at that. So... I went into early to work. I lived two blocks from the agency and I wanted to get something done before a commute out to Alameda. And so I went in at about 3 a.m. And about 6 a.m. I got a lot done, by the way, in that three hours because there was nobody else there. And um, about 6 a.m. I went downstairs to the little cafe that's right beside us, La Cuisine. He treats us so good. Yeah, it's a great, great little restaurant. And um, I grabbed my I grabbed my box of locks with a bagel in it. You know, and so it had a bagel and locks. I have it in my hand. I go downstairs to Bart because the stairs are right there. 
and go down the escalator. I still have my box of locks in my hand. And just before the first foot crosses the threshold of the BART train, somebody tried to do a grab and dash. And so they tried to grab the food out of my hand. And my first reaction, it's mine. And so I grabbed it harder and I yanked my left arm back. But unfortunately, there's a connective tissue that when I yanked my left arm back, the right one came up. The right one came up. I clocked him so good that I knocked him out. But wait, there's more. So I not only knocked him out, I knocked him out of the train and it did not delay the train. I mean, it was a good one. And so the whole train is applauding because this happens all the time in San Francisco. People grab through, they're hungry. And frankly, I was guilt-written the rest of the day because I would have given him my food if he would have asked for it, but it was mine. And you couldn't have it at that point in time. And um, so when they were applauding, I just went and I leaned against the seat. I crossed my arms. I said, don't mess with a hangry blind woman at 6 a.m. But to prove how... uh, Hello. And so to prove how small of a town San Francisco is... I run into somebody on the train two weeks later. They say, you're the blind lady who knocked the guy out of the train. I was like, just remember, don't mess with a hangry blind woman at 6 a.m. I'm so glad you told that story. Sure. Um, No, on a serious note, thank you for telling that. I think it's a really powerful story. I really do. Um, On a very serious note, we used to hold provider weekends at Enchanted Hills Camp every couple of years. And I'm wondering if you have any plans to bring that back. I and do. Hallelujah. Thank you, I Sharon. do. It won't be this year. And hopefully in 2024, we can arrange it. And it's just because we're still in the throes of a major construction project. You guys know that in 2017, the fire wiped it out. We're rebuilding Legacy Camp, but also a large retreat center. Um, state of the art. We'll be running a hospitality program out of there. We just hired a blind chef. Um, that will be leading up that. So, yes, I will be bringing back Provider Weekend. Margie, I want to thank you for asking. uh, I'm going to jump in. Margie, I want to thank you for asking Sharon about that story because I wanted Sharon the other day that if she didn't tell it, I would, and that I would embellish it. (laughs) And he would embellish it, I'm sure. (laughs) Okay, let's go back over to Zoom. See if we have it. Who's in the Zoom room? Yeah. All actually, I want to do is a Zoom Zoom. <laughs> room yeah, Zoom. Right. Actually, no one's here right now. <laughs> or no one's got their hand. No questions. Okay. There so, you go. But this I is, do have to say that ERC is the place to be. This is Mickey. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, and thank you again for the with, target uh, card. I've known about Sharon for quite a while, but I finally met her today about two hours ago. And we are already shit disturbers and sisters and i just cannot tell you how happy i am that you're here to bring the lighthouse back into the light i came to bring the light (laughs) and we're going to bring it together so sorry about that the interruption um last in the last year or two you know under leadership of people like like brian and um, Sherry and Shalina and Anita, of course, 
Chavvi has become uh, begun to be much more of an advocacy force in the blindness community, and I'm just hoping that you will continue in that vein and make the lighthouse uh, a true leader in advocacy on behalf of people who are blind or have low vision. So I certainly uh, will, and I'm as active as I can be in CAVI, and I know that Anita's going to kick me um, if I don't get more active in it, but it's been a pretty full dance card in my first six months. Um, it's a big agency, but I will definitely, I, I have a big mouth and I'm not afraid to use it um, type thing. So, you know, so I need- I love the policy side and there's so much potential that we can do here. You know, it's been so exciting listening to the updates today between Joe and the DOR staff and then aging because Lighthouse is very deep right now into Cal AIM and applying under the path site at where all the money is sitting right now to be able to do these wraparound services and bring that and bring a partner to the table that's doing food as medicine where meals can be prescribed for diabetics and what have you. And they already have a presence in 38 counties um, in California, and they're out of Dallas. Um, and so and so we're working really hard on that. And then I've touched base with a couple of people here that have some issues that they would like for us to work on. And I'm committed to every, oh, I, I, I bet you I know who that is. And um, I bet you it's about transportation. And so we're just going to move on from there. So, <laughs> and, um, but, uh, but anything, I mean, I'm there, I'm there to serve this community. I'm there to serve the people who are, who are blind and visually impaired. Um, so if there's an issue and you need a big mouth, I'm there. Great. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right. I think we got time for one more on zoom. If not in the, all room. I want to do is a zoom zoom. <laughs> <laughs> no questions here. Okay. Any, any more questions on the floor? No more questions on the floor. Okay, well, I I just want to end by saying when I first moved to Northern California in 1970, a lot of us... I was one. (laughs) Yeah, well, the the lighthouse was not called the lighthouse. It was called the dark house. So there you go. And it's been wonderful to see the changes. I had the pleasure of working uh, in 1995 when Anita... Uh, oh, over, so we uh, love Anita. I've got a soft spot. Yeah, another round. Yay, yeah, all right. <laughs> and that's right. She's going to be up next. So with that, let me turn it over to Steve. He might want to ask if we have time for a door prize. I don't know. But anyway, here's uh, Steve coming on. Thank sure. you, everybody. Thanks, Sharon. That was a great story about Bart. I like that. Um, is our door prize lady in the room? Lisa, are you here? I'm here. All right, let's let's do another door prize. Okay, let's do twenty-five dollar Amazon gift card given by the Fresno chapter. Oh At yeah, Fresno. <laughs> Can't turn my mic off. Before I announce a winner, I just have to say that Sarah Harris is up here dancing her butt off while the music is playing. It's really distracting over here for me. The winner is Simon Uribe. Simon, are you in the room and I can have someone bring you your... Okay. Are you are you with his chapter? I can give it to you to give to him. Yeah. I'll give it to you, Richard. I'll bring it to you right now. 
So um, I use an app uh, that is called Wheel of Names. So before convention, I enter all of the registered attendees' names in the wheel. And it's kind of like Wheel of Fortune. Literally, it looks like a Wheel of Fortune on my laptop. You hit the spin button, it spins the names. You can alter the music to different things. Um, and then I just kind of put the mic up to my laptop and you hear the music. It doesn't announce the name, which I don't like. I wish it did. Um, but that's how it works. It's kind of like Wheel of Fortune. I feel like Vanna White. <laughs> All right. So uh, earlier this morning, we uh, got the chance to hear from Jamie and Gibson Barrows from the uh, Valley Center for the Blind about the great employment work they're doing for blind folks. And now we're going to hear from the CEO of the Valley Center for the Blind, Shalina Heber, who is on Zoom. So if our Zoom host could uh, unmute and allow uh, Shalina to talk, uh, she will be introducing Anita Aaron, who is the Executive Director of the California Alliance of Agencies for the Blind and Visually Impaired. So uh, if you're there, Shalina, go ahead. I am. Hi, everyone. Um, I hope you can hear me okay. I'm going to kick over to Anita. I have had laryngitis for about six days, so I'm going to chime in a little later and let Anita kick us off talking about Kathy. Thank you, Shalina. Um, yeah, we're protecting Shalina's voice as much as we can because it's not doing so very well. Um, but I guess I don't know if I need to introduce myself. Sharon and Chris may have already said all there is to say, but um, I, too, am very glad Sharon took the turn to California. We were waiting. We got our wish. Um, the lighthouse is in good hands. And I just want to start by talking about the California agencies in terms of how it began, because it includes, in part, the lighthouse. Um, over 30 years ago, California Agencies for the Blind, the leaders of California agencies, were meeting as kind of a support group for each other. We'd get together a few times a year and complain about um, the lack of fundraising, how we couldn't um, actually affect change like we would like to, and um, staffing and how are we doing and improving services, all that. We would talk about it, and then we'd go back to our agencies and get sucked right back into the daily work of running a, a blind services organization. Um, so I was at the lighthouse for 20 years and involved in California agencies for the blind for all those 20 years. And yet we never progressed past that trying to support each other in 2020 long after I left the Lighthouse in 2010, um, the California agency's members decided they had to up the game. We'd lost funding, particularly for homemaker closures and services to older adults. Um, funding was getting much more competitive, but even more important, we weren't able to really link with our with other members of the blind community in California. 
Um, I've been, for example, to many CCB conventions. One of my most memorable conventions was when we shared the hotel in Sacramento with a wonderful group of drag queens dressed to the hilt that were very disappointed that we were so unimpressed um, with how they were dressed because, you know, not seeing gets in the way of that. But I remember a lot about CCB meetings and always wished we could be a better colleague of the group. So one of the main reasons for organizing in 2020 was to be able to have a stronger voice on a state level on advocacy and education issues important to California residents. Another reason we formalized was to build a stronger relationship among our member organizations. And those two options have led us into um, our third year of really trying to stand up and say, we're here with you, CCB, NFB, CET, we are here with you. Um, and so I just want to spend a couple of minutes um, reinforcing some of the things we're doing. For example, this year we're doing some targeted lunch and learn sessions on helping build strength within CADVI agencies and with um, professionals and groups outside CADVI. So last Friday we had a workshop talking about the shortage of O&M instructors and TVIs and what could we CADVI do about that and what could we encourage others to do about that. We also um, are engaged in helping support leaders of membership organizations for the blind and visually impaired so that we can join together on legislation we all find important and come up with plans of action for how to be more successful. One of the things that um, I will mention in, in regards to the Lighthouse, we've done, there's, we've done some surveys and, you know, even though there are over 20 agencies for the blind in California, very few have a, a high complement of board members who are blind or leadership team members who are blind. And the Lighthouse does lead the way in that. They, um, Lighthouse kind of has the blind thing down. Um, and you can tell by Sharon's energy, we didn't lose a moment <laughs> in keeping the Lighthouse at the head of that that um, team of people. So I want to say before Shalina goes into a little bit around public policy, our agenda, pure and simple, is to pull our organizations together and to support them and to support the advocacy agenda for Californians who need services, who have issues that need to be resolved, and to look at how we can help make that happen for them. Shalina is the chair of our public policy committee for CADVI, so she's gonna do her best um, to talk for a few minutes. And if her voice goes away, you'll hear back from me. Shalina? 
Okay, thank you. I'm going to try. This is not my normal voice, but I just wanted to say for everyone who's been on this conference, many of you are folks who I get to work with regularly and just appreciate so much. Um, this has been a fabulous day. I am so impressed by the level of conversations that we're having. And I think it's so aligned with the exciting work being done with Cabin. So how am I doing so far? Just check. Can we hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Thanks, Anita. So one of the things that we've really seen coming through the, the pandemic and kind of where we're at now is that this emphasis and the infrastructure that was put together, I think that was talked about by the Department of Aging today, certainly by the Department of Rehabilitation, the pandemic furthered a lot of systems infrastructure that was not there before. And I think it would be a real shame for our industry not to capitalize on that. So when we talk about public policy work in CAVI, really our goal is that idea that CAVI is a really great place for everyone who's doing stakeholder work in making California a better place for people who are blind or low vision to come together. And that's really what we see CAVI as. So, you know, as an organization for CAVI, our mission is that we collaborate for access to effective and equitable training, education, and services for all Californians who are blind or visually impaired. And this vision we have is to create opportunities for all Californians who are blind or visually impaired to flourish. You know, we talk a lot um, at the state level in advocacy about numbers that haven't really moved in a long time, um, especially where it comes around employment, supporting the aging population, even the educational status of our children, things are relatively statistically the same as they were 30, 40 years ago. And we really feel like this is a time for Cavi to step up and take a stronger stance in California. And we can only do that by working together. So we have our overarching public policy committee. Um, I am um, very honored and feel very lucky to get to chair that public policy committee and in doing so, um, we've arranged for subcommittees, which is where all the work gets done. And then I get to come and share those things with you. So our three strong subcommittees that were, are working really, really hard right now in CAVI and are mostly comprised of agency CEOs or their staff who they feel like are best capable to help us further our cause in these subcommittees. Um, we have a DOR slash employment subcommittee, an OIB and aging resources subcommittee, and a children and youth subcommittee. Each of these subcommittees has done strategic planning and has a charter to indicate what that committee plans on doing, both in the short and long term, to advance blindness issues in California in a meaningful way. There are three areas that we see our early successes in public policy works through CADVI. I want to say really quick, when we talk about public policy, it's a long game. And I know many of you in the room are really familiar with that. We talk about like public policy pipelines. We can talk about things for years and years before anything actually happens. So I'm really proud to share these three things with you today because I hope that you leave feeling like Kathy is getting things done. The first one related to aging, which I mean, so wonderful we got to talk about that today. 
is completion of the Big Data Project, which was a partnership between CAVI, Vision Serve Alliance, and Ohio State University on improving the quality and access of data regarding older individuals who are blind or have low vision in California to further policy and funding initiatives. It's one of the things that's always been a struggle in our industry, and I was really shocked about when I started about eight and a half years ago. So I'm like, well, where's all the data we use to argue our case and all the data we use to get grants, all the data we would use to get public funds to come into blindness? And I never really got great answers. So doing this project and doing it in partnership with a sophisticated research institute, this is a really big move for us. And anyone who would like access to that information, available on the Vision Serve Alliance website. We also have created a one sheet of some of the things we think are most impactful. But let me tell you, the data around people who are aging and have vision loss in California, it is there and it is ready for us to use to get some things done. Additionally, um, just since the beginning of the year, after some back and forth and kind of strategizing about how it would work, we had an initial public policy convening of key blindness stakeholders in California. We've done some things together over, over the years. I have really enjoyed always hearing the stories about the wonderful collaboration that happened around SV 105 and all of the things that have come out of that. Um, what we did was, I'm so glad and it was really successful. Um, I've got a big smile on my face, but your members, your leadership from CCB, leadership from NFBCA, uh, CTEBVI, Northern California, AER, comms, and I think I might be forgetting somebody, um, the leadership of these organizations, we all came together in a meeting to discuss practical ideas for collaboration, how we could achieve some small wins, and our plan for furthering collaborations in the future. I wasn't a part of things before, but I can tell you that the energy that came to that meeting where everyone who is interested in furthering blindness initiatives, it was wonderful. Everyone really came with this idea of we can do more together. And there are things that are so common for all of us. And I'm really excited to be a part of seeing what the future of our collaborations looks like. Additionally, um, it's been so wonderful hearing from DOR today. It has taken a little bit of time, um, Cavi working with DOR and, you know, as individual agencies, it can be really hard to impress upon, especially our state departments, what it is that our, our populations are telling us they need. So for Cavi and through our public policy work, we've seen a recognition from DOR of Cavi as an important member of the blindness community. And there's continued interest in meeting with us. We're, we're meeting with specialized services every month to six weeks um, and discussing how we can make California vocational rehabilitation and beyond a lot more effective. If you have legislation or initiatives you would like to be supported, if there are things in California that you think we as a public policy entity should be focused on, you can contact us. We're at info at cabv.org. It's two A's. Um, you can check out our website at caabvi.org. And I just want to say this is very much the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more to come, but just know that 
there are so many people in California right now who are thrilled to be working so hard and starting to see things move. I really feel like we're in a time of such great energy and that this work that we're doing together and this collaboration, it's it's only going to get better. I also fully commit to you that the next time you let me talk to you, I'm going to have a real voice instead of whatever's happening right now. So thank you so much. And uh, I really wish I could be there with you and hope to in the future. Um, you all are wonderful for engaging in this community. We just care so much about and uh, really, really excited for what's ahead. All right, I think I made it through, Anita. Thank you. Any questions? We have one hand in Zoom. Sheila Gunn. Sheila Gunn Cushman. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, you're fine. I guess to simplify this, what I what I would like to see is higher math. But what I, I don't mean algebra and I don't mean trigonometry. What I mean by higher math is when I got this job in January, I didn't know how to figure out the difference between health plans, deductibles. Um, I, I, you know, somebody mentioned power of attorney. I don't know how to write a, I don't know about a will because I'm not sure who I'd give to, but I don't, there's, there's higher stuff that we need to know that we don't need, that, that we haven't gotten. And maybe things have been out there. I know Tom Foley tried to talk about financial stuff. I know the ABLE account people have meetings every month. I never have time. They're not at the right time. And then by the time I have the time, I'm exhausted. Um, I just need some kind of, I need, and I'm probably not the only one, some kind of stuff about this, what I'm calling higher math that, that as an unemployed blind person, you can't even think about because you're trying to figure out how to eat every day as far as where to get the food, how to get the money, blah, 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 blah. But, but we need more than that. And now I'm having to build it on my own. I don't know anything. I don't know who to ask. I don't know where to go. I don't have time to do hours of research. And I'd like to see this at the CCB. I'd like to see this from DOR. I don't even know. Uh, and I'm sorry. I hope I'm making sense. And I hope I'm sparking some seeds, which, by the way, grow in the dark. And the dark is not a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> having been blind all my life, I need to defend the dark, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and I'm done. Thanks. You know, Sheila, my gosh, I was just having this flashback of the first time I met you. And you I don't think you could have been over 18 at the time. And to what an amazing person you have grown into. I it almost makes me feel feel cheery, but I won't cheer up, promise. Um I I agree with you. I think it's been one of the things that have been it's been always been a problem in, in my life. Uh coming back to work after having said I was retired um has opened up a new um, bunch of questions. And now all at once I find myself as a retired a person getting services from the Department of Rehab. And I hadn't gotten services for 50 years from the Department of Rehab. So I know what you mean. And I'm taking your comments seriously. Um, the quarterly sessions that CADVI holds for its members, it might be a great idea to get um, on that agenda 
something that has the, the stuff you're talking about here and let all the organizations voice what they could do to help with that, to see if we can come up with something more central. Um, I appreciate your comments about Tom Foley because I worked with him for many years. And when he was doing benefits counseling and, and um, it was really important and critical. And I don't know that we've been able to replace that service in the state at all. So thanks for putting it on the agenda. Do we have any questions in the room? It uh, looks like no questions in the room right now. Okay. Uh, how about uh, on Zoom? Yes, we do. Phone number beginning with area code 925. Uh, yeah, my question's answered. Sorry. Okay. we have any more? No further questions from the room. None okay. on Zoom. None on Zoom? Last last call for questions on Zoom. <laughs> or, uh, or in the room, yeah. Okay, well, Shalina and Anita, thank you so much. That was... Uh... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's so important for uh, so much work to be done in the blindness field. I, I love to see people working together and uh, making other great things happen. And to that end, uh, something I've never seen in uh, the 30-plus years I've been coming to CCV conventions and that is that we're going to do something called a tale of two presidents. <laughs> and I'll I'll throw it to Rob to introduce our first president. What can I say about Gabe? Don't say anything. I'll I'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah says I, she can she can take the mic. But no, I'm I've. It's a pleasure to have known Gabe since he got involved in the California Council of the Blind as a student. Is that more than 20 years, Gabe, or is it? Yeah, it's probably been 22 or three years now. Yeah, yeah. okay. And Gabe, he came, as we all know, he, he got super involved and he, he became uh, involved in, in our resolutions committee. He served as, as the secretary. I'm sure he served on the board. Uh, he's just really an active uh, participant as our president. And, of course, he's a big – we all need to know that he's a big sports fan. You know, that's real important. Um, and, of course, he he's had been working at Humanware for 15 years, I believe. And, of course, now he's got a new job at the Lighthouse. Let's hear it for that. But anyway, I don't really think I need to say a heck of a lot about Gabe. It, it's it's just, you know, we're going to just leave it at that and turn it from the mic over to Steve. <laughs> and our second president, uh, I met, I guess, four years ago now, maybe something like that. We were uh, involved with some uh, issues with the California state of California regarding their uh, reservation park system. That's a whole other matter. But Tim Elder has served as the elected president of the National Federation of the Blind. <laughs> yes. He served as the elected president of the National Federation of the Blind of California since 2018. He's an accomplished civil rights attorney and founder of the TRE legal practice based in the San Francisco Bay Area. When he's not tending to his three very active sons and his wife, Shannon, he cannot be found making music in his recording studio. So, Tim Elder, welcome to CCP. 
Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Thank you all. All right. Well, folks, thank you. And uh, Tim, I think this is a second of its kind event. This is like uh, our, our our second date. Yeah. <laughs> Tim might Tim, Tim started online dating uh, probably about three years ago. Met online. Yep. 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 Zoom, it was a Zoom relationship only. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and Tim invited me down south to come to their convention last fall. And he and, came. Yeah. And I survived. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I would hope that we all treat Tim as nicely here today as, uh, as they treated me when I attended their convention. But uh, it's, it's been great, really, Tim, to get to know you a bit over these last few years. And so nice to, uh, to actually get to see you in person a few times now. I know, not not on Zoom, right? And yeah, and, and Tim actually uh, rents office space at the Lighthouse, so I I ran into Tim at work a few couple weeks ago. So yeah, even even more benefits to uh, to having an in person job. Yeah, the, the Lighthouse is a very special place, and Thierry Legal is thrilled to to be a, a partner of the community and to be there instead of hanging out with lawyers. We like to hang out with actual blind people. So, <laughs> um, I. We we are we are <laughs> yes, um, but really thank you thank you for letting me ha- just come and be a part of the convention and um, you know extending an invitation I don't know is it, has this ever happened in the history of California I think, so. I think this is like historic or, right? or something right um, we're we're breaking new grounds here sir <laughs> and and I think it's about time <laughs> damn straight uh so Tim. Uh, why don't you uh, maybe uh, we uh, here know me way too much? So why don't you tell folks about yourself a bit? Yeah, and I, I won't tell a, a story as long as Sharon's. Um, but uh, I was. Hey, it, have it you was, talked to anybody was, out on Bart recently? I, I I have it, although that's pretty cool. <laughs> although I hope she doesn't see him again. <laughs> um, usually. <laughs> I, I did. I I was walking down market and had someone tried to steal my white cane, um, wow. and I kind of pushed him. I didn't punch him out, but um, I did push him a little bit. Um, shared for less. He was as high as a kite, so it wasn't it wasn't too difficult. Um, and I kept my cane, thankfully. Um, so you know, watch yourself out there. Uh, but but thank you for the in- invitation. Um, I just want to say, um, you know the. There is a history between NFB and, and ACB and the Federation and the Council, and the history is what it is. It's it's history. I am about blind people, and we can have organizations, we can have structure, but at the end of the day, it's about advancing the cause, collective action for blind people, and getting more opportunity for all of us. Beautiful. We are already an ultra minority, even within the disability community. Yes. To divide us in half makes us all the weaker to influence society. So when we can, we should work together. We should harmonize. You know, we might have philosophical disagreements or debates. I love a good debate. I'll talk with anyone respectfully and think about something with an open mind and, and, 
debate on any number of issues. We can talk about any anything that we might disagree on. You know, we currency. Great. We can have a debate about whether currency should be accessible or not. But who cares if blind people don't have any money in their pocket to buy anything? Right. We could talk about APS and, and crossing the street. But at the end of the day, blind people need to get across the street to go where they want to go. So I, yeah, I think we actually have more in common than we disagree on. And I, since I became a, a member of the Federation and started getting involved with leadership, see that there's an evolution going on. Whatever our history was, we will respect it. We'll, we'll, we'll know that. But I think the blindness community, like we've always done, we're adapting, we're evolving, we're moving forward. That's what we do as blind people. We're good at it. If you ask chat GPT, the pros of being blind, they say, well, you'll have amazing powers of adaptation. And I think that's true at the macro level too. We will evolve and we will figure out a way to work together, to claim more power for our people and for our members, because there's a beautiful life out there to be lived. And if we can get more resources, if we can get more influence, if we can get people to actually listen to us and hear us for the voice of the community that we are, then we will truly change the world and the life of blind people. So I'm thrilled to be here and to work with Gabe and and Sarah, who is also one of my very favorite people um, up here and getting to know people like Steve and, and Gene and others. So um, I, I've, I have found more friends in this convention than anything else. So well, what, should, what should we start working on, Gabe? Right. Well, let's see here. Uh, you know, a couple, couple of years ago when we first started chatting a bit, uh, voting was a big issue. Yeah. So... We've been working together and talking about different things around voting. Um, yeah, we've it, it's been great that uh, you know Tim and I, I think for I think again you know feel like probably first time in history for the for being two presidents of our organizations of just being able to have each other's phone numbers and and when there's an issue, feel like we can pick up the phone and call or text the other one and say hey. We've got this issue. Would you guys be willing to write a letter or to sign on to it? Um, you guys, I think, supported our scooter bill last yeah. year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Support it. Yes, absolutely. We want, you know, we want to look, everyone has priorities, but if we can do something that moves the needle for blind people, like, let's do it. And and we've signed on to a couple of your things. I think uh, the, the subminimum wage deal that you guys had last year, right? That's true. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, one thing I said to Tim, and and I think we're on the same uh, same page with this, is like Tim said, we've had a history, but let's try to actively find places where we can work together. And if we can't find a, a common ground on something, then let's at least agree to stay the heck out of each other's way. You know, if they've got an issue that they're working on, then. Yeah, let's at least have CCB not go in there in conflict with it. And same if we've got an issue that they say, you know, we just can't quite get behind that, then you know maybe we can at least talk about it and come to a place where they're not going to be going and and uh, you know your folks aren't going to actively be going and and talking against something that we're doing because, like Tim said, you know we are a, a already a minority and we don't want to fracture ourselves further. So 
Um, I think it's interesting. Like we're all kind of like also reflecting this like younger, I don't want to be ageist or anything. Right. But the, <laughs> this, this generation, like, like you, you and I and Sarah, and then Rachel Greider, who's the vice president of NFB of California are kind of similarly aged and in a similar well, phase of life. Well, and it's just, I think it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, because the, the, we have all these questions about, well, what what is the future of collective action for blind people? Like, will the next generation really step up and care or will they just get on social media and be completely individualized and, and introspective? <laughs> right. yeah. I, I, you know, I'm optimistic, but, you know, there are days. Um, but I just I find it interesting that we're we're very similarly situated in, in our sort of generational we are that's and that's probably a big part of why we're able to um have these same attitudes and, and kind of be talking about this stuff and just saying it it's great to know about the history and it's it's great to know about and and understand some of those conflicts but uh being able to take c c b and n f b c into a new uh a new phase of being able to have this collaboration um yeah, you know, like I said, I I love the fact that I can just pick up the phone and call you if there's something going on that we think that hey, this would be a great spot to work together. Yeah, yeah, and and, and vice versa, you know. Um, and from my perspective as president of NFBA California, everyone here is welcome at any federation events. We're we're open. We yeah. want want you know. And I and I hope I'll be you know uh, invited as well and come back and can can be a part of council activities because we're about blind people yes sir hey you you and your members are all you know any any of the folks from your guys uh organization are welcome at our events anytime you know again it's it's all about blind people and access to what we need to live our lives right so indeed and and so in in that spirit i want to make a really important announcement that um starting today I'm announcing my campaign for president of the California Council of the Bomb. <laughs> I I fully endorse you, sir. <laughs> you know, it does happen to be uh, April 1st. Um, so for those who, who want to write the date down that that would happen. Okay. And you had your fingers crossed, right? <laughs> uh, you your elections yesterday. I'm too late. Oh, Hey, you know, never, just about everybody, every other president in this uh, country starts their campaign a year early. Why not you? <laughs> well, I haven't been indicted yet, I guess. So uh, do you have any other thoughts on uh, anything you'd like to bring up on, on any topics, questions? So, so first of all, I, I enjoy getting um, together with Jeff and, and really benefiting from his his legal wisdom and, and his legislative experience. It's been so great great thank thank you jeff for everything you do um you're a longtime advocate you know i know you're around and you're in the background really following what's going on but it's 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 the, the community um really has such a strong asset in in you and your legislative activity and i hope that you know we can continue to to get behind you and 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 work with the issues that you're working on jeff and i've been working offline on some bills and stuff and it's just it's it's great to to have people with different strengths um all advocating so so we 
I don't know about you, but I get tired of inaccessible websites. You know, yeah. you, you go to you go to website A on Monday and it works. You go to website B on Tuesday, it doesn't work. You go back to website A on Wednesday because what website B didn't work on Tuesday, and then website A's broken and it doesn't work on Wednesday. If it, if it ain't broken, I'll update it till it is. Until it is, and then and then even if they you know you fix it, you know it'll disappear in uh, a month, and you have to learn something completely new. So technology is rapidly increasing. If we have accessible design and it's it's thoughtful and it's built in from the beginning, we'll have equal access. And so much opportunity and information and convenience will be opened up. Um, but if we just let this sit and and uh, ignore it, this is what we're going to get. We're going to get 75% access, 85% access. I'm kind of sick of it. I want 100% access. So, so you're saying we need to get out there and advocate, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, Tim, I thank you for coming up here today. And uh, should we open up, see if folks have any questions for yeah, us? Yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. All right. Let's make this a conversation for the place. Somebody has a question. I'd like to make a quick comment. I'm so pleased to, that this is happening. I've been a member of the, the blindness movement since uh, 1970. And I've been through a lot of difficult times with uh, these kinds of conflicts, individuals disliking one another for their allegiance. And I really do hope that as we move forward, that, that this collaborative spirit will continue. And, and I'm, I'm really happy. I'm curious, Gabe, Gabe were you born in 1970? Before 1970? Uh, well, unlike some people in this room, I was not one year old at that time. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't yet a gleam in an eye either in 1970. So both of us. Yeah, Hi, this is Margie Donovan, and um, first of all, Tim, thank you so much, and Gabe, thank you so much. Both of you are making this happen. You know, over the last couple of years on the national level, our presidents have been meeting too, which is such a refreshing thing. I've been a member of this organization since 1981. We have worked closely with the NFB of California before. Kathy Skyvers and Jim Willows, but we have never had an NFBC president at our convention. And this is a first, and this is new history. And hopefully and, the future. And I have a fantasy that sometime in the next couple of years, we could work together on a state capitol day together. We need more blind people at the Capitol. And even if we don't agree on every bill, we can find the ones we agree on and go our ways and meet with our representatives. And I'm just so excited. This is so wonderful to have the two of you up here. And yes, you guys are babies. You're real babies. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim, for coming here today. Really appreciate it. I want to close by saying that we've got a pretty extensive history of working together on some bills. This is not new. Um, during the um, Kathy Skyvers and Jim Willows administration, we worked together. That's how we got um, AB, SB 105. Yep. Yes. Yep. And that's been huge. 
Um, I want to acknowledge Shannon Dillon, who's on the NFBC board and a CAGDU member. She and I have worked on three pieces of legislation for guide dogs together. And she's a dynamic lady to work with. And I'm happy to say, with both organizations coming together, even though we were told for many years it couldn't be done, we sunset the guide dog board. And we've got trainers coming into the state from other schools um, following up with their graduates. We've just got a lot. We have a lot more in the future to work on. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Margie. And you, know, you just laid out a few different things that show what we can do when we all work together. So, yeah, it should be an every year thing, not an every 22 year thing. All right. Should we get another question? We have one on Zoom. All right. Okay. Who we have on Zoom? Uh, Sheila Gunn-Cushman. Um, first of all, Gabe, thank you for inviting Tim. Tim, thank you for coming. That's like the biggest, coolest, awesomest thing that's happened to me this year. Um, and the year, sh you know, just been around for a little bit, but I'm just saying. Um, and the other thing I'm just saying is inaccessibility is evil. I don't care who, I don't care where, I don't care what. And if a website is inaccessible, then every monitor and every mouse should go away until that website is just as accessible to us as it is to them. I'm just so done. Stairs are evil, except for people who think they need the exercise that way. But we need to have options to make everything as accessible as possible. I'm tired of fighting this. I've been doing so for 40 years yeah. and I've been an advocate for 30, but I was fighting it when I was 10. I wasn't getting braille fast enough and yada, yada, yada. You all know the story. I was born in 71, y'all. All right. So, but thank you. That's pretty much it. Thanks. Thank you, Sheila. Yeah, it is it is pretty exciting to yeah, this being the second time that Tim and I basically you know been able to be up here and share a podium basically. So um definitely hope to have this happen more in the future going forward. And and not just to be, you know, kind of a, a fun thing and a symbolic thing, but to, to really do the work and accomplish stuff. Like yeah. let's let's get a bill that makes all websites accessible. Yeah. Right? I, I I'm tired tired of suing people one at a time and having to and having to start over scratch every single single time. It's whack a mole, and we've got a systemic problem. We yep. need a systemic solution. Exactly. You said earlier, universal design and building in accessibility from the beginning, right? So, and, and we've got such an amazing opportunity in California. We have a a very smart and progressive legislature and and system we've got all kinds of technology and innovation like we the, the potential to change the world from this state is is there i just I, you know we need to grab more power and and really get influence we're we don't have the influence that we need to have and the <laughs> ng my sentiments exactly. <laughs> well, and yeah, you know, I I think it can also you know, and I uh, feel like we're kind of batting clean up here because having listened to uh, Susan talking and Sharon and uh, Shalina and, and Aaron, you know, all the organizations in this state can come together, 
and WorkCom stuff, not just CCB and NFB, but you know, I think the the more we can get all the organizations to back stuff, right, and and make it a, a you know, huge uh, effort, then we can get get more stuff accomplished. And and if we can get along and have these relationships, we can we you can know introduce people. We can get a lot more done. You know, like yeah. you're. I'm getting to know Anita and, and I'm getting to know Sharon and have a connection to lighthouse. Now Gabe has a connection to lighthouse. Like we're, we're building this synergy to really get something done. I think in California. Yeah. And, and I really want to thank you too. Cause last fall, you're the one that facilitated meeting with uh, Sharon G and Sharon Sachs down at, uh, down in San Diego. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I uh, I met with them. That was just about ten days after I had applied for the job that I now have. Um, so just being able to kind of get to know Sharon and and that setting, and then uh, now working over the lighthouse, and you, know, you and I getting to know each other better as we go. So you know, like you said, it's all uh, all about relationships, and and if we like each other, and and it's going to make it so much easier to continue working together and to continue um you know, collaborating on stuff you know i think as we spend time with each other and realize that whatever labels we might have we actually have more in common than we have that's different and yep. spending time with one another and getting to know each other that will that that common bond will 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 break down those those artificial yep. labels and and i've i've felt that for 20 years that uh the end of the day we are all folks who are blind or have low vision it doesn't matter if we're a member of ccb or nfb we're all blind we all need to be able to you know figure out how to have access to this out of the other thing or cross the streets or figure out where our bus is uh as things go and technology changes uh you know the specific things that we that we need or look are looking at might change but bottom line is we still need that access um, and I kind of felt like, uh, you know, even 15, 20 years ago that at the end of the day, like I said, we were all folks who were blind or had low vision. So why couldn't we get along? Why couldn't we, you know, talk more? Why couldn't the two organizations in this, uh, state and country be, uh, you know, collaborate more? And, uh, and so it is such a, a pleasure and an honor to, be in a position to be affecting this change and yeah. uh so so i'm so appreciative that you have the same feeling and and that uh, we've been able to work together to start making this these things happen and make something like you and i being here today talking about this and the things that we've worked on together over the last year or two um to have those happen yeah yeah and and, and it's it's been great to hear <laughs> Oh, there's the, yeah, yeah. Folks have questions. questions. Let me just quickly say, it's been great to hear everyone's stories. Like I just heard Sharon's story for the first time and thought it was a great, a great and interesting experience. I, I am, I heard, um, Sarah's story and I don't know if anyone has gotten a chance to, to get to know Sarah Harris and some of her, but I mean, like these are amazing stories and it's just no, like, not, so, not of us, no. so, <laughs> so, so, so great okay. to know each other. But there was a question, I think <laughs> once you want me to go? both organizations. I don't know how to do this, but we need to do something about the crappy paratransit service. It seems to be getting worse and worse. Um, organiza- I mean, agents, 
um, providers are not living to their up to their contracted requirements, and something really needs to be done to this. More of a statewide issue. I know it's not a statewide issue, but the state needs to get behind it and support somehow to encourage better public um, paratransit services. Peter, why didn't you give us something a little bit more possible, like you know, world peace or something? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's it's a. I mean, it's a look. I like a challenge, uh, <laughs> and paratransit certainly is one. But I I think there's possibilities if we dream about it. I mean. Look, we've got problems with rideshare, certainly service animals, wheelchair accessible vehicles, other arbitrary forms of discrimination for any number of things. Um, but man, if we could get you know, the convenience and the reliability, even with all of its flaws, rideshare is still so much better than the traditional paratransit. I mean, if if Uber and Lyft were giving you 30 minute arrival windows on either end like they'd go out of business in like a second and like but yet it's okay for disabled people to have to wait that long i mean i really think somehow getting the rideshare system plugged into pair transit and and piping that convenience in i mean there's not you know there'd have to be some tweaks there's a place where it's happening so we need to just kind of facilitate that getting a little bit more uh widespread yeah more more pilots more yeah. you know i mean that's that's my yeah i think a couple of years ago a few years ago ccb had a resolution trying to call for a uh, statewide task force to talk about this not even necessarily to you know calling for something to get done but at least to, to start the discussion and um you know jeff i think probably remembers better than i do but yeah we had trouble getting the state to even approve that so uh, yeah, I think yeah, there's definitely some some stuff that can be done to that effect. Did we have a question from Zoom? Yes, we do. We have our phone number nine two five area code. Hey, my area code. Yes, sir. My t- <laughs> I believe that's uh, this is Earl. Um, and I'm seventy. Eight of those years, I've been blind, and for most of those eight years, I've been a member of CCB. However, I would like to point out that I start every morning with my cup of coffee and NFB Newsline, for which I am eternally grateful. So advocacy aside, that's a big thing for me. I mean, it, it changed my life. So thank you, NFB. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think that is that is the spirit of the Federation is look, Newsline is good for blind people. You don't have to be a member of NFB. It's not, it's not like something that's, that's being used to, to recruit or exclusively, you know, separate people. Like if you're blind, you get NFB. It doesn't matter what your membership is. And I, I think that's in general, the philosophy I'm seeing, you know, in, in, in leadership now in in, in the Federation. So yes, Use Newsline. It's an amazing talk about the a benefit for the aging um, community that we were talking about earlier, right? I, I think hey, I can get my sports pages on there. Yeah, yeah I, I use it. Look, I'm 43 and I use it every day as well, yeah. right? It's an amazing yeah. service, and um, we need to make it available to as many people as possible. 
for sure. This is Christy Crespin, Highland, California. And I want to just say a couple of things. Number one, it's interesting that you talk about paratransit because um, I want to say, you know, in, in religion, I always say that we drive different vehicles, but we're going the same direction. So what I want to say is that we're using Angle Express, guide dogs, buses, canes, whatever it is that we're doing, we're all going the same direction that is equity, equality for and and opportunity for all of us who are blind and low vision. And the other thing I want to say is that I remember Kathy Skyvers. It's so funny because I was able to hug Eric Skyvers today and I'm okay. so blessed. Um, but Kathy lives on in us. And as I hear you two together today, I remember hearing Kathy say, Jim Willows is one of my best friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, hi, it's Alice Turner. And one of the things that I noticed when you folks were talking is that look at the leaders that we have now. We have Gabe, we have Tim, we have Sarah. At our elections last night, we had new people coming forward. But I got to tell you, it's really hard bringing people through into this organization, any organization, and helping to develop them to step forward and be a leader. Because someday, Gabe and Tim, you're going to be saying, Jewel to do this. So if we can think together, how, how can we work together to develop people to step up and I don't care where you lead, NFB, CCB, anywhere, but share some of the leadership for bringing people together. If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think at, at whatever the organization, right, the organized blindness movement has a challenge. We have to inspire the next generation to understand that there's still a need for collective action. Right. I mean, we've we've made some really amazing accomplishments. We have the ADA. There's equal access to employment now. There's all these laws that we've passed that protect us. We've got the Chafee Amendment to the Copyright Act to give us accessible books in Marrakesh. We've got more equal access than we've ever had before. But it's it's not 100 percent. It's 75. I mean, how how often? You go to a website and like, oh, God, this thing is a piece of junk. Uh, whatever. I'll, I, I don't, I, I don't want to send that email. I don't want to complain. Like, like if all I did, if I'd, I'd spend my entire day sending emails to support people that never responded and I never get anything done. And, and you, you start to normalize this, this settle, settling for, eh, good enough. And I think that's, that's going to be a challenge is how do we, how do we put a fire under the next generation so that they're still willing to go for that last 15, 10%, right? Um, How do we convince them that that eh, good enough isn't good enough? Right. If you've, if you've, if you've kind of internalized this, like, Oh, I'm just so thankful to have what I have. Mm-hmm. You'll never dream no. big to go further. You'll just sort of take what you've got. It's one of the things that I say that got me involved here is that I am so appreciative to 
all of those folks who did the work to get me the access that I have, that I owe that owe it to those who may not be blind yet, who may be in school now, you know, something like that, for me to do what I can to make life better for them. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, that's a tough question there, uh, um, Alice. Is how do we? Because as we've heard, uh, I think it's Mitch Pomerantz has pointed out to us for years that. People are not joining membership organizations in the last five or ten years the way that they used to. So that's the that's the trick of how do we get people interested and involved in the issues. And I I think though that what we can do is is what we've always done as a community is we adapt and we evolve. We you know we are going to have to change the way that we do things as a community and as a movement to reflect for the technological, the, the socio-technical, you know, phenomenons that, that are going on with this next generation. Um, we have to embrace it. Yep. Right? Sure. Yeah. Get on TikTok. <laughs> Tim, this is David Mandel yes, from Glee. And I want to say something that I think is really important to understand. And some people might understand and some people might not. I'm 30 years older than you. And I have a lot to be thankful for as far as the NFB is concerned. I had role models that Dr. Isabel L.D. Grant, who you never had the fortune to meet, unfortunately. Um, and other people in the NFB who helped my parents. And because of them, I am where I am today. Um, I think that whether we like it or not, <laughs> and some people do and some people don't, I'm actually proud of it. I think that the CCB is stronger because the NFB has left its imprint on this affiliate. I think that we are one of the more progressive affiliates of ACB because some of us were in the NFB. And I think that we have a lot to thank you for to be here today to work with Gabe to click with Gabe and to really talk this over and we are going to move mountains together and thank you thank you yeah, thanks bye I also have a question is that all right yeah uh, we have a question okay so I'm Ada I come from a third world country in Europe named Kosovo and I wanted to ask if, not if, but what is the possibilities of blind people in my country to get the access to Braille books or, honestly, the treatment people here get access for? It was a little hard to hear you, but it sounded like the question was, you know, uh, for people outside of people outside of the United States, yes. blind people in particular. Mm -hmm. uh what is there uh hap what is happening to to get access to books and yes. resources so i i think you know as blind people in a you know in a very wealthy nation the united states i think we do have some responsibility to look at the rest of the world and say what are we doing to to make life better for blind people period mm -hmm. which means blind people around the world um, it's, it, you know, I, I'm on a couple of WhatsApp chat groups around accessibility for different categories. And there are people in that group that are from all over the world. And once you start talking to people from all over the world, you realize how similar 
you know, you, uh, you, a lot of the issues um, really are. Um, certainly access to books is one thing. I think that's another area where, it, you know, the, the, the community through the Marrakesh Treaty has said, let's, let's try to um, make more books accessible to more people around the world, get rid of the borders, yep. break down those borders, the, the artificial copyright and intellectual property restrictions. And Let's just share our books because blind people need them. Yeah. And I think that while it's still being implemented, and I don't know if Kosovo is, is a member to the treaty or not, but it, it does reflect um, this new technologically sort of empowered world where we can share electronic books literally across the entire world yep. for all blind people. And, and I would think another area that, uh, you know, to get involved would be that uh, maybe the World Blind Union might be another uh, yeah. advocacy arm to to look at that, uh, you know, I, I know ACB has representatives there. I would assume NFB does. Yeah. Um, you know, so those are, are other areas that, uh, that you know, we as blind people can help advocate for that can help reach around the world. And I, I regularly see people from around the world at um, at least the NFB convention coming in and, and learning and understanding the, the technology and the philosophy yeah. and the, the opportunities available for blind people here in the United States. And, you know, take, take some O and M and technology and, you know, start training people uh, in a, in a system somewhere else. Right. Awesome. I am a question. I have one more question. I'm a volunteer here and a previous employee from the uh, Department of Rehabilitation. And now I work for DMV in our IT department. But I hear you talking about engaging younger people to further this cause. And I'm wondering, do you guys have any idea of what that looks like and how we can further it on our end? I wish I knew that golden answer. Right. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Like we could we could. Keep can it. I phone a friend on that yeah. one? Yeah. I mean, I. I know social media is like a big thing for it us. Yep. Um, I know accessibility is an issue, and the tech field is continuing to grow. So I would think maybe getting like a think group of people who are in tech, maybe creating some initiatives or some program funding, um, encouraging them to find um, some solutions to problems that you guys have. I, I think that's right. I think, yeah. To just, you know, encourage more engagement and then also getting more visibility as far as what is needed. Because we're a tech-driven world. You know, all of us younger ones um, are on our devices all the time and are also looking to get into the tech field. I, I think it's, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, I, I mean, I think it's like, there's a couple things to, to look at in, in, in this direction. Cause I, I think about this a lot. Like one is, yeah, you have to speak to them in the medium or the media that they're using. So, um, you know, maybe, uh, posting a YouTube video talking about an issue is, is part of it. I mean, I recently got to, to ride in a self-driving vehicle, uh, autonomous vehicle. And thought it would be good to just make a little video of it and post that on social media and, you know, get people excited about this really new growing technology. 
I am still trying to arrange, I'm still trying to arrange my first ride in an, an autonomous vehicle. I'm going to take you, yeah. Gabe. We're, we're going to go out next time I'm in in the office. We'll, we'll take because I've now got the app and can can call him. Now I can't get him at the lighthouse yet, but you know we might have to go go a couple streets down and pick one up. I'll take you for a ride in the. Hey, don't don't tell anybody at the lighthouse. But you know, hey, I'd be happy to disappear for an afternoon. <laughs> there's nobody here that would ever take that back to anyone Gabe, Gabe went out gave out for for lunch and got got kidnapped by a self-driving car oh, yeah. Uh, yeah and i got to ride in one before tim did so she did she did she did she did yes but that's yeah. you know ladies first so um i i think there's there's other ideas you know i think there's a People are also very hungry for substance, right? If we can just be genuine and have fun and and show the care and the the, the real true core of our humanity in the movement, mm-hmm. like pe- people don't care about meetings and minutes and res- resolutiony whereas clauses. People care about things that affect real people in a meaningful way. So as long as we, I think, focus on the substance, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, that's timeless. That's beyond generations and it'll translate through. I think. And, and I don't know where the magic uh, intersection is, but yeah. uh, I, I think that, you know, finding the, the intersection of that topic or that issue that speaks to folks mm-hmm. as well as doing it in the medium that, that, reaches them whether it's youtube or tiktok or whatever or those you know whatever one of the other uh things that i'm not on and don't use um but you know there's others that do so um you know being able to use those avenues and uh like i said you know finding that that issue or a couple of issues that really um speaks to to people to get them involved I think we just need Gabe doing the Macarena on TikTok and we'll be okay. <laughs> you you just aged yourself right there talking. Zoom, right zoom, zoom. <laughs> hey, so I'm, I'm more of an itchy, breaky heart kind of guy. Yeah, All right. Did uh, did we have anyone else? Yeah, well, yes. uh, did we have another one on Zoom? We, hi, this is Linda Johnson, and um, I'm a marriage family therapist, and I've been doing work with, um, you know, dealing with the mental health of people dealing with vision loss, as well as people outside since 1988. And I will say that I do have some of my clients that are in a younger group, younger generation, and even just by me sharing my story of my journey has made a difference even in those kids' lives, you know, and they just go, wow, you did that? I go, yeah, and you can too. And how you do it, you get with people that you can connect with and you find your connecting point with them and your group and your community. And I'll tell you, I think sharing our stories somehow and making that real personal connection is very important. It's very inspiring. That's all I have to say. Thanks, very <laughs> Thanks true. for it's, being here too, Tim. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and thank you for all your work, Lynn. I, your your reputation is is very good for the work you're doing in the in the in the. In the no, no, I'm, I'm I'm serious. Like she's 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 known in the field for for um, 
her, her practice and says I, she's 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 you know doing great work and i i agree like that our our story our humanity that's our mm-hmm. common bond right and yeah. and and if we can form those bonds you know people will die in the trenches for each other right if if you feel like that's your comrade and you know you could put all the money in the world in a lobbyist against that and the common bond like that'll always always win the day all right did we have any other questions on zoom yes we have two questions on zoom first up is lori hello lori hi tim it's really nice to uh, hear you and to have you here with the ccb today um I wanted to comment that uh, I think NFB just has a huge number of resources. Um, I re- read Newsline every day. And uh, then many years ago when I was looking for a job, um, used to have, I don't know if you still have it, and I think it was via phone at the time, job listings from all over the country. And um, I mean, I applied for a lot of those jobs and read about you know all of them. And that was a great resource. And then there was something that you had regarding volunteerism. And I don't, I think it was a webinar maybe, but it was a long time ago. But, you know, you, you always had this, um, NFB always has a sense of trying to kind of really and get people involved and engaged in the community. And uh, I really uh, respect that. And my last comment is, I can remember 65 years ago being a very little girl and my mom, who was a sighted person, reading the the uh, Braille monitor. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank, thank you. I, I, I think, you know, we, we try. And I, I will say, though, it's, it's so easy for one, one person to misrepresent the philosophy <laughs> or the organization like so if if someone has encountered you know a really aggressive federationist or someone who was very judgmental or or i mean it happens i get it I, i've seen it i don't think that's who we are as an organization i don't think it's who we should be people need to be accepted for where they are and certainly challenged and given high expectations but you know we have to be careful not to um, judge and put put down on our own. So and that goes both ways. But, right? yeah, but yes. And we have one other question in Zoom from a phone number, area code 562. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Debbie Cordero. Um, I'm enjoying this conversation, so I appreciate everyone giving of their time. That being said, I kind of wanted to rewind a little bit about... Um, you know, continuing the great work everyone's done for the blind community, um, the younger generation. Um, it was interesting. Uh, earlier last week, there was a survey done on a lot of these young folks. Um, they were specifically um, looking at 15-year-olds. You know, they don't want to drive a car anymore, you know, because their devices bring everything to them. And... Um, you know, uh, they're not out there, um, you know, face-to-face, um, you know, learning how to communicate with different types of entities and different settings and experiencing emotions, happy or sad. You know, um, I like the idea someone said about YouTube, you know, um, because in, with YouTube um, versus chatting, 
um, you're able to put within your voice whatever it is you're trying to relate out there, the message you're trying to to uh, pass on. Uh, and I, I like that idea of getting in front of, um, you know, the next group coming up to help us continue all the great things that CCB and NFB have done. Um, and like Mitch said earlier, you know, it's hard to get folks to join these different uh, entities out there within the community, you know? So I like the idea of, of the YouTube platform. Um, I know a lot of these younger folks are with their devices or scanning through what have you to see what pops and gets their attention. And uh, I think within the organization, we have some great folks that have great voices, you know, that have great ideas and uh, you know, it isn't so much about how many, you know, uh, numbers are looking at you, you know, once somebody starts a good message and a good delivery, um, you know, uh, maybe there's something we could do with um, getting these younger folks excited. Um, but I like that YouTube platform because uh, we are losing a lot of these young folks. Um, it's all about everything coming to them and somebody else doing the work. Um, not all of them. There's some great, great folks out there. But uh, like I said, uh, just that little survey that came out last week about, you know, 15 year olds, not just not wanting to learn how to drive because everything comes to them through their devices but they touched on other things. So yeah, we need to help our world, you know, uh, get these young kids excited to come out and, you know, do great things. Thank you. Yeah. And it, it raises some other questions too, on like for the next generation, because we have put a lot of laws in place that the, the previous generation didn't, didn't have. So the previous generation had to work a lot harder to get things right they they experienced that that harsh discrimination in a way that the ne- the younger generation will get to avoid um but that also builds a lot of resiliency and fight and so how do we on one hand challenge the younger generation so they build that same re- set of resiliency and independence and and problem solving skills but at the same time uh, avoid the discrimination that often, you know, can, can push you to, to rise above it. So it's, I don't have the answer, but we, if we, if we go in the wrong direction, we, we risk sort of, you know, um, coddling and, and creating, creating a generation that, that won't be able to survive, um, in, in the, in the real employment world. So it's, but if we continue having discussions like what we're having today, then hopefully we can all work together to try to find that answer. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a, These are um, tough problems. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we have maybe time for one more question here. Is there somebody in the room with another question? Tim wants to know when 80s night is going to start. <laughs> right after the banquet. Right after the I banquet. Believe you have to attend the banquet in order to go to 80s night. Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I don't Hello. Know. Oh, is there another question? Yes. All right. This is Kathy Schmidt Whitaker. Yes, Kathy. And, Hello. Uh, appreciate Gabe and Tim both being here, as well as Gabe being able to attend the NFB convention as well. 
Uh, and talking about collaboration and, and commonality and ways to work together is really exciting and continuing that process. Also talking about the next generation, getting them involved and engaged. Sometimes there is uh, some, you know, some uh, young individuals who don't want to get involved in either organization because they've heard things in the past or they're not sure. I'm curious if there's a way that because we all have this, you know, some situations that there could be a collaborative leadership uh, program um, work program focused for the young folks and that it focus on leadership development, skill development, um, advocacy within themselves internally, because you need to feel good about yourself and confident in order to be able to advocate. And then uh, by focusing on that and having a collaborative effort, there creates the space to be able to say, people who are blind have commonalities and similarities, and and then they can go beyond that and uh, and they'll learn and you know recognize the philosophies may be different between the two organizations and it's okay you know there's ways to be able to support that in both and there's a fit and it's you know everybody has different fit with different organizations and that's okay but creating space to allow that to be the case and for people to appreciate that, I think would go a long way in terms of getting some individuals to at least even engage in uh, finding out more about us, as well as helping our organizations develop the pipeline of individuals who are the next generation. Yeah, you know, we've, we've talked about putting something on together and that, uh, you know, at least for me, I think that's something that we could definitely I'd be happy to take a look at that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there's more, you know, we can, we can do, there's things we we can focus on the, the younger generation. I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that, that everyone talks about philosophy that, you know, philosophy also evolves over time, right? Like we adapt and, it's and so we, philosophical, right? We, we start, we, the world's changing. It doesn't just stay one way. And, and there are things that are sort of universal and history keeps repeating itself. And if we don't learn, you know, we, we will do those same mistakes. But um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, and I think, again, if we focus on the substance, like that's what people care about. If we get too arrogant with our structure and our, the pomp and circumstance of our, our organization and our titles, it's like people don't want that. People, people want to just, Focus on it on get stuff done. Let's get stuff done. Exactly. Right. All right. Well, do we have one more question? Hey, it's Jamie. Hello, Jamie. I actually have a comment, um, especially when it comes to the young adults and the youth. Um, It's it's a generation totally different from, you know, where at least where I've been from, but, and, you know, they can't, um, I don't know, uh, they're shy away, but what couple of the things that I've heard from youth in general is if they're in mainstream school and, um, they're, um, low vision, um, 
what they deny themselves those rights because they don't want to be different, right? Right. Or they're going to put him in special ed. And they're going to fight that tooth and nail unless they have a very involved parent. Um, they'd rather get poor grades than be identified or even using a cane, even though they need the cane. Um, so it's about that self-awareness and that maturity within themselves. And um, I think, you know, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, that we're not really, well, we could do, always could do better, you know, reaching out to them. But it seems to me, it's like a generation of what's in it for me. Why should I? Right. Right. So being able to get to the root of these conversations um, with these younger adults and really listening to them and, and, I don't have the magic words or, you know, the solutions, but it's not always, it's about the individuals like, you know, that we're always working with individuals, different personalities and, and having our youths that have gone through that and they're still young adults, but they're hungry for leadership and then bringing in their own generation and, and helping in, in that manner. I think we could build from that and, that's just kind of what I'm seeing in the in the neighborhoods and the conversations of today. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good comment. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, and and the thing about uh, you know, not using canes, not wanting to be different. Uh, I don't think that's just a generational thing with, uh, say, the young folks now. Um, I can tell you, that, you know, um, I, I never folded up my cane and kept it in my backpack when I was in school. You know, I never walked into something because I couldn't see it, right? And if you believe that, then I'll uh, sell you a bridge somewhere. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it, it's stuff that I think every generation deals with. But, um, but yeah, I think it, at this point, I think uh, we are uh, probably out of time. So, because we want to give folks a chance to get out of here, stretch their legs, and uh, get ready for the banquet time for tonight. <laughs> so, um, before I before I hand it back over to Steve, Tim, I do want to thank you, sir, for again for being here and uh, for having this conversation with me today. It's been great. Thank you for having me. And uh, Steve and Rob, I'll pass it back to you guys to uh, close us up. All right, Tim. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Tim. It was a, a great session, and uh, we're going to take a break. We're at the end of this session, but we will be back on the air tonight at. 7 p.m. Pacific time on ACB Media 8 and Zoom with our banquet. And for those of you here in person, uh, happy hour starts an hour before that. And, of course, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, we'll have our annual CCB business meeting again on, on ACB Media and Zoom and here in person. We'll be back then.